Hi, I'm Willie Brown, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Glory Days of Gold, the East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Lee Gillis. And we've got another packed show for you this week with one of my all-time favourite East Fife players coming up in an interview section later on. We've got him, God himself, Willie Brown, and... We won't spoil too much for our listeners, Lee, but it was a fantastic two-hour chat with Willie. Yeah, um, look, I, I think that there's a, a, a real mishmash of age groups uh, of fans that, that listen to our show, and, and look, even though somebody that wasn't in his era, his stories were absolutely brilliant. A, a, a great, great, fun conversation. He was fantastic to, to talk to, and do you want to know what? He was, he was somebody that I could have genuinely listened to, and I know we've said this, a lot, but I could have listened to him all night. Spoke so passionately about the club, about the fans, and even when looking for one, they shouted at him during the game. And to be honest, his, his stories are, are genuinely up there with the devs, the, the Paul McManuses, the, the Jay Smarts. It's, it's definitely worth a listen, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Big shout out to John Tyndall, who actually managed to help us get him on. Yeah, it was fantastic. So thanks so much, John. And we've got a story from John that we'll share after the interview as well that, that he messaged me this week. But since we're giving shout-outs to people, Lee, let everyone know who this week's sponsor is. Well, just the one this week, and I'm going to start off with an apology because it's one that I, I forgot about. So big shout-out to Ross Young, um, who sponsored the show. Ross was a T-shirt buyer, and I believe he's the brother of Scott. So we'll prefer you anyway, Ross. Yeah, we won't hold that against you. So thank you so much. We kick things off, as always, with just some look at East Fife and Scottish football news of the week. And there's not been a, a lot of East Fife news. We're recording this on Wednesday this week, so it's Wednesday the 26th. So the time that this comes out at the weekend, this may already have happened. But the club are hoping to announce soon when the home strips will be available for delivery. I know there's lots of us chomping at the bit to to get hold of our, our strips and like show them off. So I just can't wait to get my, my hands on them, really. No, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing them. I, I, great to see a picture of the away kit, the red one, which I absolutely love. It's stunning, and I'll definitely be adding that to my to my collection down the line too. Um, it'll be interesting, obviously, to see when the, the home kit comes out, but I think that they're obviously planning a big release on that, and I look forward to seeing how we do it. The, the other big East Fife news this week is they were back at training, or they're going to be back at training the day after we record this on Thursday, because it was announced this week that Scottish clubs outside of the Premiership will not be required to test their players for COVID-19 when they resume training. 
sides in the Championship, League 1 and League 2, were able to return to training from Monday. So East Fife are going back to up from Thursday. And while Premiership teams are in a testing bubble with two checks every week, that's not going to apply to the other 30 lower league sides in the league. Only if they're going to play friendlies or have full training matches before September 14th will twice-weekly screening start. So for clubs like East Fife, both financially and logistically, as we heard from Darren Young a couple of weeks ago, that's fantastic news. Yeah, I think that Darren will be doing cartwheels um, around his garden tonight because I think realistically you could tell that he was really concerned about it um, and who can blame him. And I think that you know, probably Jim Stevenson will be doing the same because it, it saves a lot of the nightmares logistically for the club. And do you want to know what? It's not something we'll do very often, but well done to the powers that be um, for, for letting that happen and, and taking a bit of a common sense approach, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it a lot in the show about how these guys could be anywhere during the week and it's like they're not getting tested. So why, when they're just training part-time for a couple of hours, do they need to go through testing? It's very different from full-time footballers who that's their job, they're there all the time. So it's great financially. It would really have hit hard, clubs hard in the pocket, I think, if they had to do so much more testing. We still don't know really what's happening with fans, but things are looking a bit more positive. Nicola Sturgeon said this week that sports stadiums could reopen to fans from September 14th with, quote, a limited number of spectators with strict physical distancing in place. So for a lot of lower league teams, that's going to be very easy to do because obviously crowds aren't great and they've got big stadiums. Some of the bigger teams especially in the Championship, that could be a little bit more problematic, but we'll see how that all works out. There, there's going to be a trial, and by the time that this podcast comes out, that trial will have taken place Friday night at Murrayfield, rugby, Edinburgh against Glasgow. They're letting in 750 fans to that one as a trial basis. Obviously a massive stadium, what's about 60,000 capacity or something. So, I mean, that should hopefully go pretty smoothly. Celtic had been pushing as well, to try and get a trial game in against Motherwell this week, but that's been knocked back, which has caused, uh, I was reading today, a little bit of consternation from the powers that be in football who feel that football's not getting a, a fair shake. And I've got mixed views on that, just because I don't think football deserves to get any special treatment the way that the, the players, uh, Celtic and Aberdeen, had put them in a spot. But at the same time, it, 750 fans in a place like Parkhead... It would have been worth trying. Yeah, I think it definitely would have been worth a try. But, you know, you, you've hit the nail on your head yourself. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of bad that all clubs are being tarred with that brush. But, you know, you maybe give the, the opportunity to a, a, a team that, in my opinion, that should be St. Johnson, um, should get the, the trial um, of having the fans back in the ground purely because they were screwed over in the whole process. Um, in terms of their games against, I think, both Aberdeen and um, Celtic got thrown into the, the wind, more or less, because of what had happened with the, their players breaching lockdown. So I think it should be given to a different club. I don't think that Celtic deserve any special treatment after um, Bollingoli went in his jolly. So I think we need to, yeah, just look at it from a, a fair point of view. I, I do agree in a sense that, obviously, football don't deserve any special treatment, but equally, it's the national sport. You know whether you know they agree or disagree with with football. There's no taking it away. There's not a bigger sport in Scotland, so 
we need to to trial our fans as much as the rugby fans deserve their shout too. Yeah, but I mean, it's looking positive at least that by the time these five get back into action, fans should be back in the stadiums as long as there's not any disasters from middle of September. I have read stuff that it still looks a, a long shot that away fans are going to get in. It is going to be home fans, which once again stresses the importance of fans to get season tickets so that they can attend these games. Yeah, but oh, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because then you're going to get people buying season tickets that wouldn't normally buy a season ticket. And then is that going to be to the detriment of the people that normally do? Because So, for example, I'm one of these people. I've got a season ticket this season. I don't normally because I'm normally working. So, theoretically, say that you're only allowed a, a percentage of your capacity. So, what's the, the capacity to be viewed is 1,997 or something like that. So, say we've got 10% to be 197, if my maths is right, and we've sold 300 season tickets or 200 season tickets. How does how do you split that? How do you choose who who deserves some more than others? Do they look at tenure? Do they look at who's been there longest? And but then if I've bought a season ticket, then why am I not getting the same rights as everyone else? So that it's a bit of a minefield. Yeah, there's there's I think there's different ways that it would have to be looked at. But look, let's be honest. If they said that we could get four hundred fans in at Bayview, that would probably take care of the season hold tickets um, and spread across the the, the stadium itself. I don't think that should be too much of an issue for, for a club like ourselves. There are also going to be people as well that just simply can't afford to, to buy a season ticket and shell out all that money in one go. And they could be long-time fans. And, I mean, yeah, it does get a little bit tricky in that regard. I mean, we'll see what happens. Over here, clubs have been letting, or some clubs, depending where they are, have been letting fans back in, as I mentioned. Whitecaps played on Tuesday night in Montreal. And Montreal became the first Canadian team to have fans at a sporting event. So they let in 250 supporters and they charged, instead of maybe charging between 20 and 60 or $70 a ticket, the tickets were $250 because they wanted to make up some money to cover the costs of having all the security and cleaning just for that small amount of fans. Now, I'm hoping Scottish football does not go the same way in that regard. And if it is going to be limited numbers that they're saying, well, it's limited, but we're going to have to up the price to, to kind of cover this. Case, then just say no um, to, to letting fans in because I, I think that it would just end up that they're having to pay for the security and then nobody would go to the gate. Um, let's be honest, I think it would be ludicrous to, to expect fans you know that's almost as bad as Falkirk and Alaba prices to get in on the gate so it's you know absolutely horrendous I would I personally would grudge spending any more than £20 to, to get into a game on, on the gate and, and I know that Falkirk's more than that and I'll not go back to the ground because of how expensive it is not that I can't afford that I just out of principle I'm just a bit like that's ridiculous for the, level, the standard of football that we're watching so no, I think that we have to be have to tread very very carefully. I think that selling a digital ticket um, for fans to watch it on East Five TV or 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 the, the the club's equivalent, it's not costing the club really anything if you think about it, and it's a, it's pure profit rather than you know having to then add the police on and all that sort of thing. So yeah, let's let's again as we say so often see what happens. Yeah. One last thing to mention as well about what happened out here. So the Whitecaps last week played in Toronto. This week they played in Montreal. And the same thing happened on both occasions. 
The first game against Toronto, no fans were allowed in. But at both games, a group of ultras turned up outside the stadium with flares and smoke and flags congregating together to add atmosphere because they found a way that they could get to the stadium and like see bits of the game through different bits of the fencing. We talked about this in the early days of what's going to happen. There are going to be stadiums where fans are going to turn up and try and make noise outside. And we saw it in the, the early days of Champions League before the, the full kind of lockdown where they had the first closed door games. And there were some fans in certain cities that turned up out the, outside the stadium. I, I don't know how likely that is in Scotland, but if there's fanatical support, I know the ultra movement is growing a lot in Scotland. We could see that here as well. And that's then when things are going to get a little bit tricky. Yeah, but you'd have to hope realistically that there's not that many morons out there. But on the same turn, I was told today that um, COVID is a hoax and that it's down to 5G. So working in that sector... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear people's, and I say opinions, um, very, very lightly. So, yeah, I, I think it has proven that we can't maybe trust the, the public to do the right thing in the, the vast majority of things. But, look, I would hope that Scottish football, you know, we, we tend to, to have some pretty good behaviour across our the majority of our fans, maybe excluding the old farm. So I suppose we just have to... Yeah, I'm going to say it again. Wait and see. I think that, the, to be honest, the, the, the American ultras, I don't even know if they could describe themselves as ultras. I've watched some of the YouTube videos, uh, their, their songs and stuff. I don't know if you've seen one. I think it's the guys that from uh, Seattle Sounders. Yes. Or and it's like, fight and win! Yep. It's his fake English accent. He, he's been like ridiculed from, for that from so many folk out here. It, uh, yeah. Idiot. <laughs> yeah, have you met him? I haven't, but other folk have, and they said he's not as bad uh, when you meet him in real life. He was kind of putting it on a bit because he knew the cameras were filming him. But there, there are some really good ultra groups out here. A lot of them have like kind of Latino influences. It's a lot of folk that's come from Mexico and the South American countries, so they're bringing that kind of hardcore passion. And I think that a lot of that was the the Montreal and Toronto groups as well. But like the commentator last night, the colour commentator was, was Stephen Caldwell and he was going on about, oh, isn't it great to see them and hear them? It's like, no, they're not meant to be there. They're all together. They're not wearing masks. It's ridiculous. Don't encourage them. Yeah. I still don't get the... I don't really want to go into any political things on, on the podcast, but I, I don't get people's aversion to, to wearing masks. Just wear them. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? I've got to wear one all day at work. It's not difficult. Um, and, you know, you need to think about it. It's not just yourself that you're, you know, you can't be selfish about it and be like, oh, well, I don't mind if I get the virus if you don't believe in it. But it's what you could potentially be carrying and sharing with other people. So, yeah, um, hopefully we'll, we'll, there'll not be any more indiscretions from idiotic players. There'll not be indiscretions from idiotic fans. And we just need to, to hope for the best. It looks like things are, are slowly progressing, snowballing towards getting fans back into stadiums. And I just can't wait to, to get back to the game. I really, really can't. Yep. Fingers crossed everything goes well. But that's it for this first bit of football chat. It's time now for one of our popular sections, Have You Heard? So who have you got in store for us this week, Lee? 
So another five band. This week we're going for a Scottish pop rock band from Dunfermline um, who are called Dancing on Tables. Um, very, very similar to sort of Catfish and the Bottom End. I think you'll like this one, Michael. I'm actually going to put it out there that I think you will like it. So they're called Dancing on Tables and the band consists of Rory McSk- uh, sorry, Robbie McSkimming, Callum Thomas, Hamish Finlayson and Gregor Stobie and Reese Tobin. Um, this song is called Missing and I hope you like it. I remember what we used to do And I would never see your point of view Even if I really needed to And it's hard and I miss when you speak to me And the words that you sing echo in my ear Now my phone never rings and I need you to say Why won't you come
So that was Dancing on Tables there with their song Missing. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. As always, let us know on the social media if you if you enjoyed it, particularly Twitter. I've, I've enjoyed hearing people's opinions. I think definitely the most popular song so far has been Phil's. Um, and I think probably Sun Stinger at a close second. If you enjoyed Cameron Barnes last week as well, I hope you've, you've given him a listen as well as Joshua Grant and a few of the other ones that we've, we've had on too. So a lot of diverse, different types of music bands um, in the coming weeks. We're hoping to have more. If you know anybody or any bands that you think would be great for it, send them along to us and we'll give them a listen. And for the weeks that we maybe don't have anything, I've got some old school five bands that, that I can dig out from the 80s, 90s into the 2000s as well. So... Well, we'll see. Some of them are still on the go. Some of them have kind of morphed into new bands as well that are still on the go. But anyway, I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Something else I'm sure that you're really going to enjoy is this week's feature interview. It's with a man who was in my top three for getting on the show to interview, spent five seasons at Bayview, and he reveals he could actually have had a lot more before and after if things had turned out differently. Made 119 appearances, 29 goals, inspired an iconic piece of graffiti outside Old Bayview. It's the man that was claimed as God. It's Willie Brown. So delighted now to say that we're joined by a man that was one of my all-time favourite players at East Fife. Watched him for five seasons at Bayview. He made 119 appearances, if we've got that stat right. 29 goals for the black and gold. I'm wearing my jersey that he would have worn in the 1990-91 season. Welcome, everyone. Willie Brown. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us today, Willie. You were in my top three, as we, we talked about before we started recording, of, of the guys that I want to get on the show I've so many happy memories of your your time at Bayview. We'll cover some of that. We'll cover your career. I was asking some fans as well for their memories and sort of stories that they had off you. So we've got some fun stuff that we're going to go over. But what we kind of we start off with, with asking most of our guests this. I mean, what what has this lockdown been like for you? I know you're you're an engineer and you go all over the world. I mean, how what has this impacted for you? Just the, the coronavirus over the last few months? To be honest with you, Michael, I've been shielding since the 17th of March. I've got a, I've got a bad chest. I've got a COPD, which I was really struggling at one time. I've sort of controlled it now, but I was, I was shielding. So I was in the house. Uh, there wasn't a lot I was doing. I was going out on my bike. Uh, couldn't do nothing else apart from going out on my bike. Couldn't visit family. Uh, I was... Obviously, I stay in Edinburgh now, so it was kind of difficult for me to get to the Dundee to see my family. I never seen any of my grandchildren. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of difficult, but we got through it. And uh, as soon as it, the, the shielding was finished, the first thing I done was got in the car and went through to Dundee. I had uh, my sixtieth birthday. Uh, with my family all planned to go to Portugal. I'd, I'd, I'd rented a. Uh, eight bedroom villa there was 20 hours going got all the flights and everything and that got cancelled obviously so when when they lifted the shield in and I was able to go to my nieces in, in Dundee and she had a, a barbecue and that for us so all my family were together but 
obviously we're sitting in the garden freezing at night at 10 o'clock at night because we're not allowed to go indoors, you know. But Aye. It, I mean, apart from that, Portugal. That, yeah, a wee bit. Uh, but the work, I never done anything. Last, last week, I went away on the 12th of August and that was my first job back since the 17th of March. So it was kind of, it was a bit weird, Michael. It was, it was, but we got through it. Got through it. So, uh, it was good. Well, that's good to know. And belated happy birthday for you then. I know. <laughs> now, we'll get into the football chat now. So, when you when you look back, what what's your earliest memories of playing football? And when did you know that you had what it took that you could actually play in the pros? I've played football on my days, Mike Laird, like from when I was like two or three year old when I could walk. I mind my mum and dad saying his, his first thing he'd done was when he was able to walk was kick a football. Eh? And obviously everybody's dream is, as a young boy is to play football. And I, and I thought I thought my chance had gone at 25 when I went over to Bayview for a trial, actually. And I played with Tom McCafferty. I played, Gavin Murray was in the team at the time. Davy Clark was the manager. Uh, I played with boys like Stuart Burgess, Gordon Marshall in the goal, Gordon Jury from the trial. Eh? And I went away on the shoot, and I, I can't mind who we played that night. But I went away and I got a phone call from some guy and he says, oh, he says, we're really interested in signing you. And I thought it was East Fife. Unknown to me, it was somebody from St. Johnson. So I went to St. Johnson for a trial on the Thursday. I went, I went for the trial on Monday with East Fife. I went training with, with uh, uh, was it the Wednesday? I, went, I was meant to go training, but they played me in the reserves. And we were playing against these five. <laughs> and they were coming to me after the game. And I'm standing outside the manager of St. Johnson's door. I was ready to go in and sign it. Eh? And Davy Clark come up to me and says, well, I am wanting to sign you for these five. I didn't know who Davy Clark was. You know? So he says, I'm wanting you to sign for these five. And I, on the Saturday, Tommy McCafferty went to come pick me up because he just stayed around the corner from me. And I says to him, look, Tommy, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to go with St. Johnson. Eh? And if I knew then what I knew now, I'd have signed for East Fife. I'd, I thought East Fife were a far better club than St. Johnson. Eh? Far better, more friendly, family-orientated. I, 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 I loved East Fife. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Clarky era, that, that was my first era. I, I first went to my first East Fife game in, in 1984. And like that whole Clarky era, when I look back on it, it was just such an amazing time. We were so close to just making that jump to getting back in the top flight. Maybe a guy like yourself would have would have helped us do that as well. But well, I mean, I think I think you had some great players at that time. I mean, obviously the boy Gordon Jury was up front. Yeah, uh, Gavin played up front at the time, and that was one of the reasons why I didn't sign for East Fife. I thought I was going to struggle to get a game. Eh? And whether whether it was true or not, but I th- I thought I thought at that time obviously Gordon Jury was a far better player than me, and Gavin Murray was a great goal scorer. I mean, no matter what you thought of him as a manager, I know the crowd didn't, know, but Gavin Murray helped me a big time in in, in football, eh? and I really appreciated for what he done for me, eh? and he was a really nice guy to me. 
and a lot of the players, but I know the crowd didn't uh, get on well with Gavin Moran. A lot of them didn't like him as a manager, but he was a good player for his five. Yeah, I definitely don't doubt that. I, I just... I mean, we'll come to Gavin in, in, a, in a little bit, but I think when a lot of us look back and remember you at Bayview, it's, we remember you as being like tough as nails, like a, a really hard tackler, you, you took no shit. Like, were you always like that when you were like a youth player or was that just something that came as you got a bit older? That came into my game as I got, see, I was, I was very slow in developing, Michael, and I was always timid and wee and, you know, shirking dark, getting kicked all over the park. Eh? And some of my amateur managers would say to me, look, boy, this is the way the amateurs is, eh? You know, you're going to have to learn to stand up for yourself or you're going to get kicked off the park, eh? And some of my managers that I played with at amateur level from Dundee would say to me, look, don't come crying to me for getting kicked. He said, you come crying to me, I'm going to kick you. And it, and it sort of toughened me up, Michael, eh? And, uh, and then when I went senior, I wasn't the most skillful person, so I made up for in, in, in heart and, and, and dig and... That's that's what sort of I liked about the game. Eh? I mean, I was never the brave. I was never the the best football player, but I would put my head in tackles where boys wouldn't put their feet, and that's the way I played. Eh? Yeah, I mean, who, who was, was your honest fo- player? Who was your footballing hero when you were growing up? Then, like, is there anyone that you kind of modelled your game on? There was always there was always players like Kenny Dalglish and Graham Soon. I thought Graham Soon was a great player, a bit dirty at times, but he was still a great player. Eh? And the boy Douglas was just, well, I think I think that speaks for itself when we talk about Kenny Douglas and, I mean, Gordon McQueen, all these guys that when I was younger, eh, these these guys were tremendous players. Eh. So but you the, started off, um, Willie, on Tapeworks books, is that right? Um, I, well, I, went, I went to St. Johnson from Tapeworks. That, yeah. that was the first thing. I was, I was never, ever the fittest person on the park, eh? And one of, one, of, one of the guys that took over at Tayport was a gentleman called Peter Cuthall. Peter Cuthall was physically fit. He was like 60-year-old, but he used to do all the training. And that, I sort of resented managers that would stand in the middle of the park and say, right, run around here and run around there for 500 miles and stuff like that. This guy, Peter Cuthall, actually done the training. And Peter says to me, and I remember his words, he says, well, he says, I think you're a good player. He says, you're scoring goals right, left and centre. I played up front for Tepo. He says, you're scoring goals right, left and centre, out of nothing. I just need to get you that wee bit fitter. He says, and I'm telling you, he says, I'll get you a move. Eh? And I says, a move to where? He says, well, the way, the way you're scoring goals, he says, I'll get you a move to like the second or first division. And he did. I, I mean, the first year... I was at Tapor, I think I scored about 32 goals or 33. I can't remember. It was at 30 mark anyway. There was me, myself, Graham Cox, who was the son of Bobby Cox from Bundy, and a guy called uh, Bruce Burnett. And they called us BBC, Bruce Burnett, uh, Brown Burnett and Cox. Eh? And everybody in the, the amateurs in Dundee were, were scared to play us eh? because we were banging in goals for fun. I mean, we, we were averaging like four, five a game. Uh, Bruce Burnett scored something like 26 goals. Graham Cox scored something like 28, and I scored 32 or 33 or something. So there was a lot of goals between us. Eh? And then Peter Cuthill got me fit. And then 
Paul Sturrock, who I went about with his brother-in-law, Bruce Mulkey, another fantastic player that I know, I, I'll never know how he never, never got a senior level. But Paul Sturrock, used to, I used to go about with them and, and Ian Gibson got the job at St. Johnson and he didn't have any money. He was in the second division. They were struggling a wee bit. They got relegated from the, the first division, to the, well, the Premier League to the first division to the second division in, in the space of two years. Eh? And they didn't have any money. And, and Ian Gibson says to well, he says, look, I've not got any money. He says, I'm just wondering, was he used to train the Ashdale, which were the, a club in the, the amateur leagues? And he says, do you know anybody? He says, I'm looking for a striker. I'm looking for a midfielder. I'm looking for a couple of fullbacks. And he says, do you know any strikers? And he says, well, look, the big boy, Willie Brown, it. At airports banging in goals, he says, I would, it's worth a look at me. He says, no, no cost you anything. So the next thing I was, I was up at St. John, I scored the hat trick in my debut against Albion over. So everything sort of went to plan. Eh? Uh, it was good up there. I, I liked it. But I mean, to be, it was like a dream come true with me at 25. I was going round, I come from the Douglas Lads, I played with the Craigie boys when I was younger. And I, I still go to some of their presentations and I still say to young boys, never, ever give up. Ne- never. Because I know nowadays if you're not signed by a club at like 15-year-old, you're finished. That's the way they look at it now. Eh? And I say to them, just keep going. I said, I got the opportunity at 25. I signed for St. Johnson in October 1985 and I was 25 and a half years old. And to walk out on that park was, for me, Unbelievable. I mean, it was tremendous. Eh? Your stats at um, Saints speak for themselves. 38 goals and 67 appearances. It's absolutely brilliant. You were the top goal scorer for the club over both series, uh, over both seasons. So, you know, that is literally everything you dream of as a kid. Um, if you've got any sort of football and talent, which Michael and I don't. But it may surprise some of the, these five fans to, to know that to know that's that because obviously we think about you more as a midfielder rather than a prolific goal scorer you know you know why I moved to the midfield yeah. Paul Hunter obviously played up front and uh, I can't remember who else played up front for them and like Gavin when I moved to when I moved to East Fife Gavin Murray says to me how do you feel about playing in the middle of the park with it? And my answer to that was, look, Gavin, I'll play any place. You put a strip on me and I'll play. I'll, I'll help you out any place you want. I'll play right back, left back, centre half, sweeper, anything. I'll play any place that you have a jersey for me. And he says, well, I'm thinking about putting you in the middle of the park. He says, we've not got a lot of dig in the middle of the park. He says, I know you could dig. He says, if you play in the middle of the park, I'll, I'll, I'll look after you. I says, and, and he did. And, and I enjoyed it. And you were more involved. I would like to have the lungs that I did when I was like 22 or 23 year old to get up and down, but I couldn't do it East Fife. Eh? So I just sat in front of the back four and I tried to ping long balls in. And Gavin Murray was delighted with that. And break up the play and give it to somebody that was able to run that. That's, that was what he wanted me to do. And that's what I'd done. I tried other things at times that maybe didn't come off, but I did try them, you know. <laughs> If I went for a run of 60 yards, that was me beat. I just, I just couldn't go anymore. From St. Johnson, you went to Forfar. We were in the first division. You had two seasons there. And then, obviously, you said yourself, Gavin brought you to, to East Fife. So how did that move come about when, when your time at Forfar was coming to an end? Well, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, right? That's what I, we want. I hate losing, right? Hate it. I hate being sub sub subby. I hate being left out and I hate losing. And one day we were going down to Kilmarnock and the guy, I don't know if you know him, a guy called Alec Hamill, who was the captain of mm-hmm. Forfa. And him and Henry Hall, they used to, I got out that they used to phone one another on a Friday night and say, what do you think the team should be? And I don't think that's the captain's job. I think that should be down to the coaching staff and the manager. And I heard about that. And me being me, I says to Alec Hamill, I says, I, I think it's wrong, eh? that you're picking the team. And he says, How, how's that? He says, I'm the captain. And I says to him, well, I, I don't think that's the captain's job. You're the captain. is to motivate guys on the park and keep them going. I don't think your job as a captain is to go and pick teams or have an influence in who, who plays in the team on a Saturday. So anyway, I, I wasn't playing well and I was injured and I was carrying an injury and I went down to Kilmarnock and I got left out of the team. So I was subby. And I says to him, now, Willie Waters was a guy at St. Johnson that went to Kilmarnock. Willie was, Willie was unfit. He was, he, he was like Scotty at scoring goals. He'll score goals and nothing. Six yards of box, he's in. And I says to Alec Hamill, Alec, the boy Willie Waters, watch him. He gave him half a chance and he'll score. So just get, I said, I played with him at St. Johnson. He's a good goal scorer. He's not a great player. He's a good goal scorer. Well, watch what you're doing with him. I just didn't give him any room in the box. Ah, oh, he's about 20 stone overweight and he'll, he'll never run away from me. I said, I'm not saying he'll run away from you. He'll score goals. So anyway, we got, we got beat 2-1 that day. And Willie Water scored two. So Alec Hamill come in after the game. And Henry Howard says to me, Willie, go and get warmed up. A minute in the injury time. And I says, Henry, by the time I warm up, the referee's going to blow it, go and get warmed up. So I sauntered out the dugout. It was a wee bit in the half. And I sauntered out the dugout. And I wandered up. And I never really warmed up. Eh? And he says to me, boy, you ready to go? And I said, well, no, really. No, I'm no warmed up yet. Next thing, the referee blew the whistle. So Alec Hamill got to hear the story. So Alec Hamill said something to me in the dressing room. I'm naked. I'm going in the shower. Because I didn't speak to anybody. I just took all my gear off. And I was ready to go in the shower. And Alec Hamill says to me, he says, look, well, he says, we'll sort this out. And I says, no, I said, look, I said, don't bother me just now. I says, because I'm really angry at Hogan in the game. I'm even more angry that I've told you about what he was and you just let him do what he wants and he scored two goals. So we'll discuss it at training on Tuesday. He says, no, I think we'll discuss it now. And he grabbed the whole thing. And I punched him over the fucking heart. You know, the, the hampers. The, you know, the, the bead hampers. I punched him in the chest. And he went rolling over all the hampers. And then, I think, Wednesday, was it? East Fife. <laughs> so that was... <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think, I think the boy Brian McNaughton went the other way. You remember Brian? Yeah. Brian McNaughton went the other way because Forfer were interested in him. So Brian McNaughton went to Forfer and I come East Fife. So it was a, like, a, I don't know if there was money involved, but it was a swap deal, Michael. Ah, yeah, I, re- I remember Brian McNaughton well. I, I, I couldn't remember your signing because I couldn't dig the stuff out. But yeah, it might have been a, might have been an actual swap. I think it was actually. I'm sure it was. If this is how this is going to go, with hearing stories like that, this is going to be one of our best. Yeah, love. <laughs> <laughs> I never ever done it to 
people that are like yeah, and, and <laughs> I've done it at the wrong time. Yeah. I'm on the other side of a computer, so I could ask you the cheeky question. <laughs> <laughs> so you spent five seasons at Bayview. <laughs> Um, at a sort of tumultuous time for the club with lots of struggles and poor results on the pitch but the fans absolutely adored you so you're still talked about now with fondness I mean you're a name that's come up and come up and come up I mean we've been doing this podcast I think for three months four months Mike and yeah. literally it's like when's Willie coming on when's Willie coming on when's Willie coming on so big shout out to John Tindall who reached out so how do you look back at your time at East Fife then not just because I'm here, uh, loved it. Every minute I played for East Fife, loved it. I got involved with the youths, I got involved with the reserves, I got, like, I was a Gavin Murray's assistant at one time, loved it, just absolutely loved it. It was 40 minutes from my house, it maybe should have been an hour, but the way I drove at the time, it was like 40 minutes, but I absolutely loved it. Every minute I was there, loved it. And I honestly, I can't say that enough. Eh? There were Jim Baxter at the time, the chairman, with his wife, Jim Stevenson. Jim Stevenson's still there, isn't he? Yeah, you know, yeah man. He's the new chairman. I, I know, I know. Him, his wife at the time, the, I mean, when we used to have nights out with the club, Ken used to come to me and say to me, well, the boys are a bit down. He says, you think we should have a night out? And I'd say, well, have a night out. And he would go to the Cali Hotel and we'd have a, you know, a big, big night out, a good drink, and, you know, boys that didn't drink would drive home, I stayed in the Carly Hotel, and, you know, it was, it, the club were fantastic, and the, the, the Jim, Jim Baxter would never, ever say, oh, I can't afford that way, you know, or he, he would say, I'd rather give it to the guys that are here to make them enjoy themselves rather than spend £10,000 on a player that's maybe going to sit in the stand for the rest of the year, maybe injured or doesn't want to play for the club. I'd rather try and bolster what we've got with harmony than go and spend £10,000 on a, on a player to sit in the stand. That was his, that was his way. Eh? I mean, Jim Baxter was a jock Fleming, you know. The, they all, I mean, Jim Baxter's obviously gone now, God rest his soul, but he was a nice, nice man. A lot of people... Liked him, a lot of people didn't like him, but he was a nice, nice man. I didn't know how he was at business, but yeah, that, that, things, he was excellent. That's what I was going to say. Like my interactions with him over the years, he was he was a really he was a gentleman. He was a pleasure to talk to. At that stage of Scottish football, though, it kind of felt that the game was kind of leaving him and the club behind a little bit. Like other clubs were taking steps forward and doing a lot of investment, and like he was more going for, like, as you're saying, like the family thing and looking after the players. I mean, it was a lot of struggles, but I think Jim's heart was in the right place, and he's a guy that was involved in East Fife for a couple of decades, and it, it, he was a gentleman. Yeah, it's just unfortunate he never moved with the times. Like mm. instead of instead of, and I, mean, I don't know what what players were worth at that time, but he would say, he would always quote to me £10,000 for a player to sit in the stand or whatever it was. But he'd go and spend maybe three or £4,000 taking all the boys out on a night out or something, you know? And it was like, that's the way he was, eh? I mean, when we got, when we got sponsored from, remember when we got, well, that's probably the strip, Foresters are leaving. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> 
Andrew Forrester's. He got he got me a he got me a brand new Rover four one four Rover turbo diesel, you know. And I was like, ah, Jim, what are you doing? Oh, I said, ah, you're my club captain. I need you having a Forrester's leaving car, you know. And I I was running about in this red brand new red Rover four one four, and you probably remember them, but yeah. a car, eh? And I went home and I said to my wife, I've just got a new car, and she says, what? Was Obviously, I mean, we were, I, was, I wasn't working as an engineer at the time. I had to work in a bar because yeah. it was a place that was going to give me time off to get to the football. Eh? I had to work on the shifts around the football. And I could, obviously, I couldn't do this job playing football. So she says, where did you get that new car? And I says, well, she thought I'd taken it on. Eh? Jim Baxter says to me, oh, well, he said, don't worry about it. He says, it'll maybe cost you about £25 a week or something. Don't worry about it. I'll sort that out. You know? But he was a great guy. Just... You know, yeah. But he never moved with the times, and I and I know that when when supporters maybe hear things like that, they might be saying, ah, you know, we paid money to go and watch us get promotion, and you're spending it on the players or whatever it was. No, <laughs> that's me. He was it? Eh? He was a yeah. nice guy. I mean, there's a story. I don't know if you'll have heard this one before, Lee, and I I guess you probably will have maybe heard it at the club, Willie. But back in the early seventies, when East Fife got promotion. Jim Baxter got everyone brand new colour televisions. And then the next day, the police arrived and took them all away because they were stolen. <laughs> they were all stolen. Eh? I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> I, heard that. I remember the story when uh, the two Nigerians came to the club and he asked me, he said, the club captain, he says, well, they want you to take them through to Slater's and get them fit everything else. Well, these two Nigerians, man. Honestly, I don't know where they come from. Eh? They couldn't speak a word of English. Jim thought he had a bargain, eh? You know, they were great players. He took them all through the Slaters. He couldn't speak a word of English. And they've got the big flimsy hats on, you know, the, the brown and yellow suits and everything. I says, Jim, what have I got to give them? He says, get them club gear. I says, well, what is that? Blazer and flannels? And he says, yeah, yeah. I says, Jim, they've got... I had a phone. I had to go down the stairs and use a phone. And a phone box. I phoned the club to speak to them. I says, Jim, what am I here for? He says, get them their, their club blazers and their ties and that. I says, Jim, they're all them suits and everything. Well, I tell them I put the suits back. <laughs> big brown and, and big furry hats and everything. It was later. They're <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Oh, yeah. I mean, there must be so many good stories from those days. Your, your most lasting men legacy, I think, for a lot of folk as well at Bayview is sure you'll remember it but outside on the old Bayview there was the fence and it was spray painted Willie Bruin is God yeah I, I, to this day I still don't know who done it I, I do I'll tell you just now and then I'll cut this out of the podcast after I, when I was still playing with East Fife the, uh, Gavin had asked me to look after like the, the young lads Benny Andrews Gilbert Allen all them guys remember them yeah is it Blythe Alan Blythe oh yeah remember them so I used to I used to run a, a youth team in Dundee called St. James under 18s. And I brought them through and I says to them, come through to Bayview, we'll get a game, we'll get a game against the, the East Fife youth team. Now, you know, they're quick, they're good, they're young boys, so you need to be sharp on the ball and stuff like that. Right, okay. So I took them into the Bayview and I says, Mom, we're going to Bayview, the old Bayview walks up the path, and I turned around and I says to them, do you notice anything about this tremendous sunlight? And I pointed them towards the billboard in the horse And they were all like, oh, who the fuck done that? You know? 
And I say, so I, I don't know to this day, I didn't know who, till, till you told us, Michael, but we're all in this. I still get stick to this day about that Bilbo from them. I think a lot of folk thought it was you that had done it yourself, that you'd come up and one night and just done it. And it's, but I mean, it's so iconic. I wish, like when they demolished it, I wish somebody had like cut that out and kept it and put it in the new stadium. Because it, it's one of those just iconic things that so many folk my age, they think about that when they think about it. Some of the, some of the guys that I, I'm friendly with on Facebook, Michael, on, on uh, Liam Anderson and boys like that, eh? If I comment on some of the East Fife groups that I'm on, they'll they'll come back and say, Are you the Willie Brown is God? And I'll say, Yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> See, it's a wonderful thing to have as well. Oh, I mean, you were you were there for a big chunk of the, the Gavin Murray years when when he was the manager, and yet you, you touched on it there. He was obviously good with the players and the players liked him, the fans didn't, and th- there's a famous thing i've still got the cutting of this it was pre-season first game of pre-season and the players ran out and someone was like murray 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 out 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 and it's the first game of the pre-season before a ball was kicked and it's like he just never could win the fans over but i, I think it was a case i know he broke his leg and that probably played in him getting the manager's job because the club screwed up the insurance side of it but he just he felt out of his depth and he didn't feel like he was actually a manager but what what was he like to play under? As I said Michael he, he was good with me he brought me to East Fife he basically told me <coughs> I could play where I wanted he, he basically says to me he says well I'm needing somebody to bolster up the middle of the park I'm needing the defence sorted out I can't play in both places but I would like to play in the centre of the midfield and I says ah and then he says to me one day, he says, well, I'm struggling for centre-half. Would you play centre-half? I'm struggling for a sweeper of the day. Would you play sweeper? And I did it. And I, and I, and I think I, I served him as, as, a, as a player that could sort of do a role in any part. Whether I was good at it or not, I tried my hardest. Eh? And he says to me, he says, no, he says, well, I'll make you captain. He says, you're my, my type of player. Eh? And as I say, Michael, I got on well with him. I got on real, really well with you, I was honest with him. He was honest with me. He sort of went around about things about other players like John Sludden. You couldn't tell John Sludden the truth because John's head would have went down. Eh? And it, oh, Sorry, while I mentioned John Sludden, have you heard about John Sludden? No. He's got cancer of the mouth. He was in a bad, bad way. Oh. He's uh, really bad. Re- I mean, he's, he's on the recovery now. Uh Paul Henry Taylor went up to see him, give him a card. We got a we got a card from him from that moonpig.com. It was a photo that all these five players that were in the squad at the time we all signed it and give it to John. So but John he's recovered now anyway. But oh, that's good. such a anyway, you couldn't tell John how bad he played because John's head would have went down. John was any of the players that you had to say, Come on, John, you're playing well today, whether he was or what, you know. Whether he was or whether he wasn't, you had to tell him that he was playing well. And and that was the way John was. Gavin Gavin sort of had to tell, for the want of a better phrase, Gavin had to tell John lies to get him to play, you know? Because John wasn't playing well. John was maybe scoring goals, but he wasn't playing well. Eh? And I thought, John, 
John was in the team. John was a fantastic player, great player. But when the game got tough, John was nowhere to be seen. Eh? And if boys started putting the boot in, John, John was like, well, I'm not, I'm not wanting nothing to do with this. Mm. And Gavin sort of went a roundabout way to, to protect Sloddy that way. And I know some players you've got to do that. I think Gavin went overboard on him. But I mean, I'm, I'm on the park giving Sloddy stick. Eh? And Gavin's in the dugout going, ah, oh, you're doing well, John, well, you know. And that, I didn't agree with it, but however, that's how Gavin was. He had to change for different players. I liked Gavin. Uh, some of the crowd were a bit unfair one, as you say. I was one of them. I'll admit that. I, I, when I look back at it now, especially when we did the fanzine, we made his life hell. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it, he wasn't the best manager, Michael. I, I must admit, he wasn't the best manager that I'd ever played. I mean, when we started getting players like myself that had been about recent Johnson and I'd, I'd been Duke Houston and Henry Hall at Forfa, two very good managers, Ian Gibson, big, big Arthur Henderson at St. Johnson, still in the game now, Tommy Campbell, I was it, I was it. He's five for Gavin, and Gavin wasn't the best manager. We used to sit in the dressing room, and he used to come in and say, you know, we're playing this today, and I need you to do this and this and this. And we're looking at one another saying, they didn't even play a 4-4-2, they play five at the back, you know? And it got to the stage where, like, boys like myself, John Sludden, even Stuart Burgess, when he came back to the club, you know, sitting going, come on, lads, we'll just do our own thing. We'll talk about it out on the park at the warm up. I just listen to him and gave him his place as a manager. But then he sort of kind of lost it a bit, Michael. He was, but I liked him. I did. I, I liked Gavin Murray. As a person, yeah. Uh, I first went to the club, he, he looked after me. He gave me a lot, of, a lot of freedom on the park. He gave me a lot of things to do, like looking after the players, make sure that that was my job. I was the social convener, organising nights out, things like that. But on the park, he, he would say to me, oh, well, you need to be a bit, you know, sluddy. Paul Hunter was another one. You couldn't tell him he'd done wrong. Eh? Paul was a young boy, young boy, great player, good goal scorer, but he was a bit lazy at times. Eh? Yeah. But he was a good player. And I, I sort of lost the head. I'm, I'm running past Paul Hunter, the shop boy's doing, and I says, Paul, I'm double your age. I said, you need to, you, Gavin Murray sort of fell out with me about, not fell out with us, but told us, oh, you need to watch what you're doing with Paul. You, you need to watch what you're doing with Sluddy and boys like that. Yeah, so, well, that, that's the thing. Like, when I look back now at that time, and I was doing a lot of kind of thinking back when I knew that we were going to be chatting to you, you look at, like, especially in the, the attackers, the forwards we had, we had Scotty, we had Sluddy, we had Ali Mitchell, Paul Hunter, even like Stevie Pittman at left back, who was like tearing up and contributing in the attack, we had such a good forward line, but we just we couldn't win. We just we kept losing. Why do you think we struggled so much? Was it just the tactical side, maybe? I, I think tactically, I don't think Gavin Murray was aware of what was going on. Right, although he was a good manager, and he had he had Davy Gorman aside him. Now, Davy Gorman was a keeper. I got on well with Davy. Davey was a great lad as well, nice guy. But tactically, I don't I think the two of them sort of... And I'm, come on, I'm not I'm no sitting here slating Davey Gorman and Gavin Murray. I'm not doing that. 
But between the two of them, I thought tactically aware that they just they just didn't have 100%. Gavin's idea of winning the game was bringing on another forward. Yeah. You know? Gavin's idea was bringing on an extra midfielder to stop the fullback coming forward. Gavin's idea was, we'll put Ali Mitchell wide, we'll put Doogie Hope wide, and we'll play with an extra forward. We'll put Sloddy up beside, or we'll put Robert, Robert Scott right up top, We Sloddy, and we'll play two, up, two wide men, Ali Mitchell on the right and Doogie Hope on the left. But he, he t- tactically, I, d- I didn't think he could change a game. You know, you know what I mean. Oh yeah. If, if there was something happening in the middle of the park, Gavin wouldn't counter react against it. He would put on another forward. I think that's where Gavin let himself down. And let, when when you're on the park, and well, me on the park, and people in the crowd that that have a, a, a knowledge of football, when they see things like that, then they go. What was he putting an extra four? Remember Doogie McCracken? Oh, I remember Doogie McCracken. Yeah, Doogie, Doogie, he was a he was a centre half as well. But at the time, it wasn't a. I don't think it was the right centre half that we needed. Eh? Yeah, he and got a lot had, of abuse as well. Oh, terrible! I mean, I thought Gavin Murray's abuse was bad, but yeah. Doogie McCracken's was <laughs> some of it. Some of it maybe deserved because Doogie, Doogie wasn't the fastest player. Uh, he wasn't the fastest runner, but Doogie, Doogie was like me. Doogie just wanted to win in, and it's a shame that the supporters never seen that side of Doogie. Eh? Yeah. I only found out, actually, a couple of months ago. I didn't know he passed away, uh, like, years ago, and I was like, oh, wow. It was only maybe... Three or four months ago, I found out as well that he had died because I can't remember what we were speaking about. And somebody, it was on one of the East Fife, uh, East Fife Facebook things that I was on. And we were speaking about Anasses and, and Doogie McCracken because they showed the photo and they says, Does anybody recognize? And the guy says, well, who's the big guy in the left hand? And I says, I'm sure that looks like Doogie McCracken. I said, I've never seen Doogie McCracken for a year. But I still keep in touch with Davey Beaton and Doogie Hope, Stevie. I still play golf with Stevie Pryor. Ah. You know, I still keep in touch with a lot of PH, Gilbert Allen, Derek Long. Still keep in touch with them. We're all on an East Fife ex-players group that will organise our social thing on eh? So... When when PH says to me, Willie, I'll, I'll I'll message you private about Big Doogie. I says right, okay. And I thought by the tone of the the, the message, I thought, oh, something's happened. Mm. And he told me he committed suicide. Eh? Yeah, found him in a in the after in in, uh, in his living room. So big, I don't, for what reason I don't know, but he committed suicide. I know because when I when I heard that, I just. I immediately thought back to all the abuse we gave him and it's like, you, you don't appreciate, like when you're giving players abuse, I mean, I'm not saying this had anything to do with him like committing suicide, but you don't you don't think when you're giving a player abuse what it might actually be doing to them mentally. That's right, that's right. Some Doogie Hope was terrible for it. Honestly, yeah. Doogie Hope was... Because Doogie was brilliant one day and then he was terrible the next. And it, 
crowd that were always at the way, and now Dougie, Dougie Hope was only a young boy at the time, Dougie was only maybe 19 or 20, and he's, he was getting a bit of stick for the crowd, and Dougie was a good player, don't yeah. get me wrong, Dougie was a good player, uh, he was still a young boy, he was, had, still had a lot to learn when I left East Fife, or when I joined East Fife, he was a really young boy, yeah? and uh, as you say, people people were giving him a bit of stick and didn't realise how much damage they were doing to him because he was from Edinburgh. He's sort of good player. If he'd been from Fife, <coughs> like excuse me, I thought Gilbert Allen was a good player. It wasn't a patch on Doogie Hope, but as soon as Gilbert Allen come on the park, because I, the maybe he was a local guy, yeah, to give him a bit. You know, ah, well done, Gilbert. And, you know, same as Blythe. Blythe was a good player. And the yeah. sort of, uh, Blythe, Blythe's still keeping in touch with them all. Eh? So, ah, it's good. It's good. You were club captain for us. Um, and then, obviously, when Murray was sacked, you took over as caretaker for manager for two games. So, how did you enjoy that unbeaten? Because it was two draws that you were in charge of. So, you know, you're probably one of the only unbeaten managers for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, re- I was really desperate to do it. I wanted to do it at East Fife, but I'd never had any ambition in being a manager or a coach. Or any- I-, I-, I know some players say, oh, I want to be a manager at the end of my career. I didn't want that. I was sitting in the dugout that day, header and everything, kicking everybody. I, w- I was kicking Davy Gorman in the side of the stand and the side of the dugout. I was kicking players sitting next to us and I'm thumping their, their thighs and I, was, I wanted to be on the parquet. And I, and I left myself out that day. The first day, I left John Sludden out the, the first day and I thought I'd made a mistake and I left myself out the following week. And uh, when, when Jim Baxter come in and says to me, he says, <laughs> I, I had a joke with him. I said, Jim, where do we get the application forums? And he says, uh, he says, well, you'll no need an application for him. And I, I says, do I, do I need to apply? And he says, well, just speak to someone important. And I says, well, that'll be you then. He says, are you interested? And I says, yes. He says, you've got the job. And that was how the interview went. You've got the job. That was on the Saturday. I took the job over on the Saturday. Got it the, I run the team the next Saturday. And I thought I had the job. Eh? And I came in in the training on the Tuesday. And Alec Totten was sitting in the office. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what, what's going on? You know? And I'd fell out with Alec Totten at St. Johnson. Yeah. And it was, the, it was nothing to do with him. It was because uh, Jeff Brown, the chairman, I had a job in Dundee, but it meant me working every second Saturday, Michael. And that meant us missing every second Saturday at the football. So I went to Jeff Brown and I said to him, Jeff, look, I've, I've been offered a job and I can't really, I was unemployed. Eh? The only thing that I had coming through the door for my wages was part-time wages from St. Johnston and that, I, that wasn't enough to, to do anything. Eh? So he says to me, Willie, what about, what is your wages? So I told him what the wages were going to be. He says, well, look, I could match them wages. I'll give you a job as you can go and drive the vans, you can deliver stuff to my sites, blah, blah, blah. Make sure the joiners have got wood. Make sure the brickies have got cement. So on and so on. Right, okay. So I got a job. Two weeks before Christmas, 
he paid me off. And I was like, yeah, well, I went into Alec Dalton, and I said to Alec Dalton, Alec, I just kind of give my all for the club, for the man that's just paid me off two weeks. I said, I've got a family at home, and I've got two weeks before Christmas, he just paid me off. And started another guy in my job. And I was oh. like, an older gentleman that he bought a quarry in, in Perth, and it was an old farm, and he was turning it into a quarry. And the old farm hand had been there for something like 40 years, and he would have had to give him redundancy money. So he paid me off, because I'd only been with him maybe three or four months. Paid me off, started him in my job. Eh? I said to Alec Don, I can't work like that. So he put me out of the game for about 10 weeks, Alec Don. I didn't like him. Eh? Put me out of the game, wouldn't let me train me St. Johnston or nothing. He's, he'd go and find your own club to train. I was training at Forfar, Breakin, Montrose, Arbroath. And then next thing I can, he, he says to me, the night that he got the job, he says to me, look, well, I know you've done a good job here. You've been a good player. Jim Baxter's told me about you. I want you to be part of my team. Eh? I says, nah, nah, I couldn't do it. Eh? And he says, well, look, Willie, you're not going anyplace. Because at that time, you couldn't move after, you know, it's a bit like now. You were so far into the season, there was only maybe three or four games to go in the end of the season. And he says to me, what are you, what are you thinking? I says, nah, that's his alley. I, I can't work with you. He just told the parcel of lies with me in the press. He blamed me for two bad results uh, to the press in, in St. Johnson. And I was the same as the supporters in St. Johnson as what I was with East Fife. And the, the headlines were a pathetic Brown wants transfer after two bad results. East Sterling, whatever. And there was no further from the truth. Eh? That was not the truth. And he says to me, How, what, do you, what do you expect me to tell the press? Do you want me to tell the press that you got paid off from your chairman? I said, well, that's what, that's what I'm leaving for. So now it was all my fault. In the press, it was all my fault that I was leaving St. Johnson. So when he came into East Fife, he asked me to stay. And I says, look, I don't know you want to stay. He says, well, look, well, you're going to the place. Wait to the end of the season, see how we are, and come in and see me after the season. The last game of the season, I was all geared up for it. I fell out of the crowd that day because I was angry because I knew I was going to be able to leave. And I didn't want to leave, but I was kind of forced to, mm. because Alec Totten had come in. First thing he'd done was he took my car off me. That was the first thing that he'd done. He says, well, I'll need your car keys. I said, wow. that's my car. He says, it's a club car. And he took the... I had to get old Jim Hay. You remember Jim Hay? Yeah. I had to get him to take me home that night to Dundee. And I says to him, so after the last game of the season, I says to him, uh, I says to him, boss, I'll, I'll be in to see you after the game. Eh? And he went, yeah, no problem. Well, just let us know what's happening. And I went in, strips still on, shorts, socks, shin guards still on, everything. Before I went in the shower, I went in, chapped on his door. He says, ah, come in, boy, come in. Shut the door, sit down. How are you? I says, I'm good, eh? He says, well, have you had to think about what you're going to do? He says, I know that you were wanting to tell me. I says, ah, I'm going to leave. He says, oh, well, that's fine. Well, he says, I'll just put you on a transfer market. And I says, well, I'll just retire. I'm not coming back. That's me finished. And he says, ah, right, okay. So Jim Baxter phoned me a couple of days later, and he says, have you come down, Molly? And I says, oh. I says, what is that? And he says, ah, well, I've had a word with Alec Totten. He says, I'm going to let you go. Eh? He says, I'm not wanting any transfer fee. And I says, well, look. I'm going to go, at that time, Dundee St. Joseph's were on the, the up and up. I said, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm behind your back. I'm going to go with Dundee St. Joseph's. 
I says, if I could get money out of them for you, I'll get money out of them. And I think Peter Marr at that time went over with about £3,000 in an envelope and gave it to Jim Baxter. And Jim Baxter, typical Jimmy, he said, oh, that's fine, son. Put it in his back pocket. Aye. <laughs> and that, that was the end of his fight for me. And I knew that day, I knew that day that I was, that was the end for me at East Fife. I knew that was going to be my last game. Kind of fell out with the crowd. I remember. I, want, I wanted to batter the boy Paul Taylor. You know, Oscar? Yeah, because Lee might not know this. There was two Paul Taylors. We had Paul Taylor and yeah. Paul H. Taylor. So it got very Paul. confusing. But yeah, I remember Oscar. Well, Oscar, Oscar, I, I mean, I still see him. Eh? I, I still go about me. I'm going to go about me. I still see him. He's still the same. He's still that cheeky wee boy, likes to tat the mickey out of guys. He done it on the park, won the hunt up. Won the hunt down, he was threatening up my guys. And I, I says to him, Paul, gotta be a smart ass. Get the job done, get three, four in the hunt up, and then let's, let's start. Then a day here, at, at nothing's up or one the hunt up. Get the job done before you start there. So, so, I warned them many, many times eh, and it, I was pulling my hair out at times here. And I, I threatened them on the park many, many times. Eh. In the last game of the season, I lost the plot here. Lost the, we're doing one on and he's still trying to take the piss out of boys. I says, Paul, we're one on doing and you're still doing it. Get the job done and then you could do it. That was the my idea of football. I'd, let's get the job done. Get off the park, have a laugh in the dressing room at them, or whatever it was, but then I do it on the park. So he was he 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 wouldn't do that, and I fell out with him the last game of the season. And I, I think I think my last thing to the East Fife supporters was I, I give them the V, and I, honestly, yeah. I I would never ever mean anything bad to the supporters because I thought they were they were great with me, eh? but I knew that that was my last game and I knew I was leaving it. Eh? The, the supporters didn't know that, but I, I knew I was going that day. Eh? That was my, and it was my decision. And I still to this day didn't know if it was the right decision or the wrong decision because I didn't want to leave. I think I was ready to leave and I think I didn't think I would have got a game for Alec Totten's team be what he'd done and he signed a lot of players. But, I don't know if it was the right decision at that time for me, but it was, in my eyes, it was the right decision. So we're, we're coming obviously to the end of the sort of, uh, your, your career at East Fife. So did you have any standout stories of teammates from your time at East Fife? I mean, imagine with guys like Scotty on the team, that there's always going to be a bit of wildness about it. Scotty was great laugh. Scotty was, by the way, I like to drink myself, eh? I mean, fortunately, I've been able to control it for all my life. Eh? Uh, Scotty, great guy, great lad, great great party man. To see him to have in the dressing room, he was a great lad. You know, just he would crack jokes, he would take the mickey out of boys, he was a wind-up marching, you know. On the bus coming home, he was a singer, he, he used to take the mic on the bus and he used to do karaoke before karaoke was invented, you know. He was a great lad, and he was always full of mischief. You know, he would never, there was never a dull moment with him. He was a great lad. Uh, boys like John Sludden and that, they good lads. You know, John was a bit quiet, but when, when he wanted to have a laugh, he would have a laugh. Eh? You know about Carlo Carolla? Yeah. 
No big Carlo. Yeah, he had the chip shop in Kirkcaldy. That's right, that's right. Carlo was a born-again Christian, right? I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't. Carlo was a born-again Christian, Michael. And Gavin Murray used to put me in the room with him so that he could control me because I was, I was always, as soon as I got in the hotel, I was at the fire exit for a drink, you know. So he got here away doing the fire exit. So Carlo used to say, Carlo used to read some of the, the Bible stories to me. And I'm like that. So there was one day, I, I'm not kidding. There was one day, me and Billy Gallagher, remember we, Billy? Yeah. Well, Billy's from Dundee. Billy's, he's another one that went off the rails with a drink. Billy was gambling and drank. Billy would gamble on two flies crawling, crawling up the wall. Eh? He, would, he, would, he would say, right, the ain't on the left's mine, the ain't on the right shoes. I'll bet you a tenner mine's bet yours. He was just, he would gamble on anything. So, we, we went away doing a Blackpool, and we were staying in the Norbrecht Castle Hotel. It's way by Fleetwood, way at the other end of Blackpool. Beautiful hotel. We used to have the, the World Champion Snookers there at one point, many, many moons ago. Billy Gallagher had put money, and you'll remember it, or maybe you won't, when Mark Kalkiavecchia won the Open, the yeah. British Open. Well, Billy, Billy had money on it. Billy had like 200 quid on him or something. I mean, he has a lot of money. And he picked up something like 11,000 pounds or something. I mean, it was key money. So, on the Saturday, me and Billy were waiting on Mark Kalkavecki. So, the winner. And he says to Gavin Murray, Gavin, are we training tomorrow? And he says, yeah, he says, we'll start about 10 o'clock Saturday night. He says, have a couple of beers on Saturday night. He says, we'll start later, 10 o'clock. He says, we'll meet at the, the hotel reception. We'll go down to the beach. We'll do our usual runs. Billy was like, oh, I'm training. <laughs> Nothing. He says, I'm waiting on Mark Calcavecchia for a lot of grand more. He says, if, he, if that comes up, there's no danger I'm going to train it. <laughs> I says, well, Billy, I'll wait to come and witness us. So Billy goes into the bookies and writes, picks up his line, right? So he goes, now, at that time, it was all done with pen, eh? Yeah. He used to write a line out. Billy went in to Ladbrokes in Blackpool and says, there's my money on the Sunday. I want my money. The boy says, I can't give you that. He says, because you never put it on. He says, but look, if I write it out again, you can, it's the same writing. So anyway... Billy didn't get his money, so he went round a couple of the players and borrowed a few hundred quid. Eh? So we got money, and we went to the Manchester bar on the Sunday morning about half past 11 or something, right? So me and Billy are drinking all day and all night. We get in about 10 o'clock. Gavin Murray says to me, where have you been? He says, oh, Billy had a wee win on the, you know, the, the bookies, so we went for a couple of beers. He says, well, I'm really angry, guys. And I says, well, you know, it's the first, first time I've missed training in my life with you. I says, it's pre-season tour. It's, you know, what, is it, is it that bad? He says, well, no, really. He says, just that you never told me. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I goes up to my room, right? And I'm sharing a room with Big Carlo. I'm absolutely plastered, right? I'm, I'm falling a bit drunk and everything, right? So I gets in the room. It must have been about half past 12, quarter to one or something. We've been on it for 12 hours, solid. Carlo says to me, well, look at the state of you. He says, we're playing tomorrow. 
And I says, ah, Carlo, I'll not be playing. Don't worry about that. I said, I've just spoke to Gavin Murray there. I don't think me and Billy Gallagher will be playing. So he says to me, I says to him, I'm starving. I've not had nothing to eat all day. And he says, well, there's a garage down there, Willie. He says, do you want me to go down to the garage? I says, I get me three pot noodles, a couple of sandwiches, a couple of Twixes, Mars bars, and bring them back up. Because he went away to the garden. Now, I'm talking half one or something in the morning. He went away down to Carlo. Went away down to the garage, come back. And I was spangled and <laughs> snored my head off. And I wakened up in the morning and I says to him, what the fuck are these fucking sandwiches doing? He says, well, you sent me down there last night at half past one this morning, sorry. He says, at half past one this morning, she says, you come in. He says, we're absolutely really, really drunk. Carlo didn't swear or anything. He says, you were really, really drunk. That's the worst I've ever seen you. He says, and I had to go and get you something to eat and you've never even ate it. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Carlo. But, you know, Great, great fun, good club. Just, I could, I could sit and tell you stories all night about them. Man. Great, great clubs. And like the boy Pittman, I still mm. speak to Pittman. I still play. I'm a member at Pumferson Golf Club. Ah. So Steve, well, eh? Steve Marsley. He was a bit of a wild one as well. Oh, he played with Canada. Oh, he came to the States. Ah, he played in Major League Soccer when Major League Soccer was first starting over here. Did he, did he not get a cap for Canada? I think he's American. Was he? Yeah. Because I was telling everybody in Pumferson that he got, he got, I'm sure, I says, I'm sure he's got a cap for Canada. I'll check that the new, but I'm pre- <laughs> he, he was definitely American, but let me check that. Was he? I, I thought, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was Canadian, Michael. I know he was, that. he was American. He got three caps for the US. I know, I thought that. Aye, I know he managed Pumferston. That's right. That's well, he's young lad plays for Livingston, eh? That's oh, young lad. do you know what? I didn't know that, but every time I heard the name Pittman, it reminded me of Stevie Pittman. I didn't know it was his kid. Stevie's no changed. Stevie's still the same build, still the same face. He's never. He's got a wee bit thinner on the top. I think he shaves it now, but. He's never ever changed. He's still. I'd see if I brought Stevie Pittman in here now, you would say, "God, he's never changed. He still looks the same. He's still got the, the big chest. You know, he, he had the wee stomach and that." But yeah. He's, I mean, he's he's still quite big, eh? Yeah. So I had I had some really good times at East Fife, and I really enjoyed it there. But supporters, even the some of the players that we had were, were great players. Yeah. Tommy Rafferty, Aye. They took the goal. You know, Stevie Lennox. Remember Stevie Lennox? Yeah. Great players. Paul Hunter up front, Ali Mitchell. No, that, Aye, he was good. Speaking to one of the guys for, about Ali. Ali Mitchell wasn't the brightest of guys. Eh? Ali, Ali was a good lad. But a raw young boy, eh? and he, he wasn't the brightest of guys. So one of, the, one of the stories that I heard about Ali Mitchell was he stayed in Blingray, remember? Yeah. He stayed in and Ali, Ali got a big move to Kilmarnock, remember? Something like, I can't remember, was it 375 or something? It was like, it, yeah, it was one of the biggest ones we'd done. So, Jim uh, Jeffries, when Jim Jeffries took over at Kilmarnock, he says to Ali, Ali, where do you stay? 
And Ali says, oh, I'm staying in Bollingray. And he says, where the fuck is Bollingray? He says, it's top five. And he says, uh, well, Ali, I need you to live more, you know. And Ali says, well, I, I, I don't know what you want to. He says, but he says, Ali, it's no what you want. He says, we're full-time football players now, eh? We need to be in the vicinity, you know. We need to be near, nearer Kilmarnock. Yeah. So he says to him, he says, well, Ali, being Pfeiffer, he says, who pays for that? So Jim, Jim Jeffrey says to him, I'll give you a... I'll give you a relocation allowance. And I think he moved to Cowden Beef. That doesn't surprise me, with Ali. But <laughs> and you, you thought Ali would be running down the wing taking fullbacks on. Yeah. Ali would knock it 60 yards in front of him. You see, you'd turn your back on it and say, he's never going to. Next thing, boys are shouting, well, the boys in the box. No, he just whip his feet around that and, and crack it into the box. Eh? Great player, good, strong. He was like an ox. Eh? There, was a, there was another time playing in uh, Darlington in a pre-season friendly. And, and uh, Ali was Ali being flying past this fullback. And this fullback says to his mate, I, I can't handle this. Eh? He says, I'm just going to have to take him. And I says to him, well, what's what you're doing? Because... Eh? You know, he's a, he's a fiery wee boy, eh? He's not a stupid wee boy. So, pre-season friendly, eh? He was a bit older guy, left back. Ali was skinning him every time he got the ball. Ali was knocking it 20 yards past him and getting there 15 yards in front of him, eh? So, this boy just, he lost the plot. This guy just volleyed Ali. He knocked it past him 20 yards as he was doing it and the boy just volleyed him, right? And Ali... Got up being Ali, and then Ali was like, That ah, was strong, eh? Yeah. And Ali, broad Fife accent, he went, Yeah, fucking hear you. I'm going to rip your fucking head off and shake down your neck, you pretty. <laughs> but he turned and he says to me, What the fuck was that? <laughs> I think he's going to rip your head off and shake down your throat. <laughs> and he was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Ali was nuts. Uh, Ali was wild when he started you know if, if Ali took a lot from him lost his temper but lose his temper he was away he was gone eh? nah, he didn't want to mess with a blingery boy like oh no no no, no. I was playing for um, these five young five players um, and we played against Cowden Beef or Blue Brazils that were known at that time and I must have been about 13, 14 and one of the boys says to me, he's like, see if you tackle me like that again, I'm going to take razor blades to your eyelids. Oh. And honestly, right, 13-year-old, and I absolutely bricked it. Honestly, feigned an injury and came off. I was like, I'm not here for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a boy that I play golf with at Pumferston. A guy called Ryan, he's got a Polish sick in him, Ryan Dewotsky or something. He said that he played with the East Fife Young boys against the Blue Brazil and how old are you, Lee? 31. I think he might be about 32 or 33. I bet he was in the same team as you. How, how long ago was that? 18 years ago? Aye, there or there about, aye. Do you remember a guy with a Polish name, Ryan? No. He must have been about that time, Lee. He says, I was a ball boy. And when I got asked to go into the, the youths, he says, that was he says, that made my day, because I was playing with him yeah. in the open there. 
they've bumped the open. Yeah. And the, uh, he sort of introduced himself. He says, I'm Ryan. He says, I'm not even going to attempt to say my, my second name. He says, because you'll never, never remember it. And I says, what, what kind of name is it like? Because he was Broad Fife, eh? He stays in Livingston now. And uh, I says, how have you got a Polish second name? Because you're Broad Fife, eh? And he says, well, my granddad was Polish. And obviously his dad. And I said, all right, okay. And I told him, he says, what is it you do? He works for uh, Rolls-Royce Aviation. And I work on gas turbine, which is it's similar. Eh? And uh, he puts the blades in of the Rolls-Royce engines for the aer- aero derivatives, you know, and the aeroplanes. And mines are like 10 times bigger than that because I work on gas turbines that produce electricity for cities. So we got blaring, and he says to me, uh, how did you manage to get into that? And I, I told him, I said, I, I was time-served, blah, blah, blah. Went away from my trade to get to the football. He says, who did you play with? And I says, I, I played with St. Johnson 4 for an East Fife. He says, oh, I played with East Fife. And I, and I, you know what, I couldn't even remember his second name. He, he did say it, but it's a Polish name, Ryan something. We call him Ryan DZ. That's, that's well, if, what you, I if, you, if you find out his name, you've uh, got my phone number, just give me a text and uh, I'll see if I can remember him, but my memory's oh, awful. Oh, yeah, yeah. The next time I see him. And there's, there's loads of guys out there that, that, Pompey, that, that played football. That, you, know, you know the guy Stevie Massey? Did he not play with East Fife? Alec Broughton no sign him. East Fife. A guy called Stephen Masquerade. He played with St. Johnson. Yeah, I, re- I remember him at St. Johnson. I don't remember him being a East Fife. Because he was a good he, little player. He was a good player. He, he, I played with Stevie out there. He's a, he's a mortgage advisor. He's got his own business now. So play with him. And uh, there's loads of guys that played with Whitburn and, and, and Camelin. And, you know, going back to Camelin, I think that's how the boy, we're going back to what Gavin and Davy Gorman, the tactical side of things. That's, I think that's why the boy, Brian Fairley, came to his five. Oh, yeah. He was tactical. He was sharp with tactics. But they used him a lot for going watching other teams. And he wasn't in the dugout on a Saturday, you know. So eventually he came into the dugout. And I think they put Davy Gorman to the games to watch other the teams that we were playing the following week. I think that's how Brian came in. Brian was quite cute with his tactics. Mm. Because they're all, they're all, I think they're still involved with Camelin and Whitburn and all that. Aye, because I, th- I think Fairley went to Whitburn and then he was with him for the Scottish Cup runs and stuff that they had. Well, Steve, Big Stevie Pryor, I'm still friends with Big Stevie Pryor. And he's, he, he went back to, I think he went back to Stenhouse Muir after he left his fife and then he went, he went through the Camelins, the Whitburns. He won the Scottish Cup with Whitburn when he went back there or, uh, uh, Stevie's still going with me. Him, him and his wife are still... I'm divorced now. I, I, I just got divorced maybe five years ago. Eh? Uh, so that, that was uh, 35 years, eh? or 37 years or something. It just come to an end, just through the job. Eh? All right. I'm not being at home when things were needing done, being away all the, all the time. I mean, I'm going away tomorrow, but if I'm, if I'm at home, I've got a bag sitting ready, packed, ready to go. I've got two aftershaves, I've got two toothpastes, I've got one for the house and one for the bag, and everything's sitting in a bag. Eh? So I can get a phone call just to go, well, Willie, can you travel tomorrow, get 
get a flight book, book on my own flights, on my own hotels and stuff like that. So it's uh, it must have been difficult for, for my wife trying to organise houses and build yeah. houses. We'll bring you back to some football then, um, or maybe uh-huh. not much football, but like I say, you were, you were one that the, the fans have been championed a bit for as a, a bit of a character to get on. So they've all sort of got in touch with their Molly stories um, to find yeah. out what their thoughts were. So one of the ones was, do you remember hunting through the old social club looking for a guy that was giving you abuse throughout a game? The place was packed and noisy. You burst in about taking the door off the hinges and the place instantly went quiet. You could have heard the pin drop. The guy was there shitting himself, trying to melt in his seat. Wally then walked around the dance floor, challenging everybody to give the guy up and he would take on everybody in the place before being huckled out by some teammates. <laughs> I, do, I do mind the challenge. I do. I, I kind of remember what it was about. I do mind the going into the old Bayview Club <laughs> and asking about it. And nobody came forward. Uh, I, I do mind that. I kind of mind what it was about. It must have been. It must have been something bad if, if I got in that state to go into the club. I do mind that. I do vaguely. I do. I'd have loved for a player like you to be about in the, the current age of social media and stuff because that that sort of antics would just be completely legendary in the modern game. Um, I think I, that you'd definitely be a controversial character, hundred percent. No, and I, I mean. I, I don't think I would be able to do social media now. Be the footballer. <laughs> yeah. I just. I do. I do. I do. I do Facebook and, and and I do WhatsApp because I've got, I've got family on on Facebook and I've got friends on WhatsApp. I'm in about twenty different groups for golf holidays, golfing holidays, groups for going to the bar, groups for going here. So there, I do. I do do social media, but there's. I mean. I don't think I would get away with it in 1985 or 87 when I, when I was at East Fife for social media. Probably not. We've got another story as well that was um, about Kilmarnock coming to Bayview. So they just mm-hmm. signed former Fifer Stuart Burgess and I think everybody was looking forward to him coming back because there had been a bit of a talk about him being the hardest player ever to wear black and gold. So the I, I don't know what you're about to talk about here. <laughs> Folklore has <laughs> you took the kind... A challenge and then sort of proceeded to break Burgess's legs five minutes in with one of your usual tackles with a bit more aggression behind it. So you didn't get booked and your hardest player ever title remains untainted. So was that something that you sort of set about going, I'll show you who the hard man is? Well, well I, don't get me wrong, Burgess was a great player. But, but I think that night they tried to play him in the middle of the park. And I, and I, I was at Bayview, I mind what, and I think we won 2-1. And I scored two that night. I'd done nothing the whole game apart from tackle that Stuart Burgess in that tackle and score two goals. And I think that was the only thing that I'd done right that night. And I remember we were shooting up the hill and me and Burgess were giving one another a bit of stick. And, I, and I'd say to him, who, the, who told you you were a midfielder anyway? I was giving him a bit of stick. And he sort of he flew off the handle eh, because he wasn't playing well. And he sort of lost the plot. And there was two of them that night came in to do me. And I put, I knocked the ball too far in front of us and caught it with my back studs and run my front studs down uh, Burgess's shin. And the other player that came in to do us kicked Stuart as well. So he got done for the two of us. <laughs> and I looked over the two of them and the crowd started shouting, uh, shouting and bawling about, oh, well done. And the two of them 
sort of we're still lying in a heap. I do, I minded that. I minded that. Now that you so mentioned should, there was two players, I remember that now as well. Because I remember there was two of them lying there and you were like standing and we were all going crazy. <laughs> love that. Absolutely love that. I, I remember another time that like you were getting a bit of abuse and I don't know if it was from an East Fife fan or if it was from, I think it was from whatever team we were playing's fans. And the ball had come over and they had been shouting at you and you just leaped over the... Well, that was it. You leaped over to get the ball and they shat themselves because they thought that you were going for them, but you were only coming to get the ball. As you, as you come out of the dressing room, it was away in the top left-hand corner. And the, the, it was a crunching tackle and the boy called me all the dirty bastards under the sun. And he was going to do this and he was going to do that and the ball went over. And I vaulted the fence and picked the ball up and I says, well, I'm here now. And he, he sort of backed off. Like, <laughs> I'm ringed that. I was against Cowden Beef, actually. Oh, here, this is a story that I, a guy called Glenn Walker, who's a regular listener, he told us this one. He remembers when we played Montrose and they had signed Doug Rugby, who, of course, everyone knows was a, a hard man in the Scottish game. So his version of this is you had your back to him, Rugby was tight on you, and it was right in front of the, the old Bayview shed. You took the ball under control. Someone shouted, punch his puss, Willie. And then with your right hand, you punched Rugby in the pus over your left shoulder, flattening him, running down the wing, chipping the ball in, and we scored. Rugby then ran to the ref, greeting with his nose all buckled and all bloody. And then a few minutes later, it was the same thing, and someone said, do it again, and you did it again, and you flattened him. I kind of mind you doing it the second time. I'd, I'd done it the first time. I remember that. Was it, it, was, it was one of them. I turned round and, and gave him one of them, and nobody seen it well. The, the ref, when I say nobody's seen it, I think everybody in the ground seen it apart from the referee and the linesman. But I remember the first one. I, I can't remember the guy shouting it, but I, I remember doing it. And then I remember doing the second one, but Doug Rugby, he was, he was in a mess. Well, Doug Rugby was always in a mess. Yeah. I didn't hate Doug Rugby for him to be in a mess. But I, I do remember the first one. How, how glad are you that there was not video review back in your day? Yeah. I would. I still say it to this day. I would never be able to play football now. Never. Yeah. I never. Know. Never. V. In my opinion, I think VAR spoiled the game. But mm. I never be able to play football nowadays. The, the way I played, I was. I was hard. I, I wouldn't say I was a dirty player, but I, I was a hard player. And if a guy gave me it, I give him it back. And if I give it and he give me it back, then so be it. We shook hands after the game and went in for a beer. But nowadays, it's I, I think it's all changed. Eh? I, I, I couldn't have played football nowadays. When I first came over here, because to me, you are the epitome of what I like in a midfielder. Tough tackling, not afraid to go in, hard guy. So that's what I like still to see these days. So when I first came over here, we were watching the Whitecaps and it was before they were in Major League Soccer. So I'd be behind the goal and I'd be, when it was tackles, I'd be like, snap the bastard! And folk would be looking at me like, what? Because it's like, it's they don't have that kind of strong mentality for, for playing football and stuff here. But yeah, I mean, I just loved the, the way you played. Do, do you know how many times were you sent off in your career? Or how many games you end up missing? Or how many fines you ended up paying? I'm sure you could get an easier question than that. <laughs> 
I was trying to find any stats, but obviously going way back that time, it doesn't have all all things for like sending offs. I remember you were suspended for a lot of games. Oh, right. Um, see, and and these days your your bookings totted up as well. I was always suspended for the first two or three games of the season, always, yeah. because your bookings carried from the follow the previous year. So if I got booked, maybe. I got a one-game suspension for like five bookings and then two-game suspension for your next five bookings. And then come the end of the season, it was a three-game suspension starting next season. But I would get sent, I was guaranteed to get sent off twice a season. I, I maybe maybe one or two with the East Five, but I mean, and some of them, I hated referees, hated them. They were always right when they were wrong. They, they were always, you didn't tell me the rules. I remember a guy booked me for asking him how long it was to go. So, I mean, there were some really eventful matches while you, you were at the club. There was the, the December 1989 game against Kilmarnock that got called off with 11 minutes to go when Tommy Burns looked like he was going to have hypothermia. But the, the one game I really want to talk to you about especially where you coming from Dundee, was that cup game against Dundee United in 1990, where we had a huge upset stolen away from us. Seven minutes into stoppage time, Dundee United tie it up, one all, go back to Tannadice, do well in the replay, but eventually end up losing. It was just such a heartbreaking match to be on the terrace and for. I mean, what was that like to be playing in it? And just how did you feel just about what happened that day? Now, just to splice something in here, just before Willie gives his answer to that, my internet crapped out, so we lost a little bit of Willie's answer. I thought we'd captured it because Lee and Willie were still in the stream, but unfortunately not, so that's why it's just going to kind of cut in now, midway through. But you'll get the gist of how Willie feels about that game. I drunk me in my local bar. We're all yeah. Dundee supporters. They're all halfway across the Tay Road Bridge when Paddy Connolly scored. They were all out the ground, gone. They thought yeah. they were up. And it was seven minutes. And as I say, Lee, seven minutes was never played in them days, injury time. Never. Do you think then, Willie, that it was a case that the ref was just letting it run on and hoping the equaliser then because we were an unfashionable club? Well, I, I don't have the answer to that, Lee, honestly. Whether he was letting it go to they scored or no, I don't know. But that's what it looked like to us. Now, when I say to the referee, how, how long is it to go? And he didn't answer me. And I say to him, where does it say in the rule books that you're not allowed to tell me how long it was to go? And that's what he booked me for. Now, that was probably my, my, my fifth booking of that season, right? So the next two or three games, I was getting banned mm-hmm. because of now, I got in the Scottish Cup replay with Dundee United at Tannadice. And we went to Tannadice, played. We took them to extra time at Tannadice. Now, yeah. in them days, Dundee United weren't a team that you wanted in the Scottish Cup. Because Dundee United never lose, lost uh, to small clubs. And Michael will tell you that. They never, see, they had a, they had a terrible crowd. You, didn't, you never wanted Dundee United. Because Jim McLean was in charge of them and Jim McLean was professional as anything. You never got a big crowd from Dundee United. You never made any money off them and you were guaranteed to go out. 
But when Brian Fairley came back, we, or I'm sure it was Brian Fairley, when he came back with a report, he gave us, and this was probably the change of football for me. Brian Fairley gave me seven pages to read up on who I was playing against. Now, they do that now, eh? Brian yeah. Fairley did that in 1991, which was never heard of. You know, he give everybody a, a individual sheet on what we were to do, on how we were going to play against our opposing player. It wasn't the team. It was the player that you were playing against. Here, you need to read this. And that's what he done, eh? And we were confident of beating them. The club chairman came to me and says to me, boy, what, what about appearance money? And I says to the players, what do you think? And I came back to the chairman and I says, we're not wanting appearance money. We're wanting a win bonus only. And that sort of doubled our win bonus because we were confident of beating them. Eh? Yeah. The way we played that night, I don't, obviously, <laughs> I don't know if you were there, Lee. Michael, remember it? The I remember we, it. The day that we played Bayview, I sold half of all the Dundee United tickets. Jim Baxter, I worked in the pub 200 yards from Tanadice. Yeah. They were all in the pub for tickets for Molly. Could you get us this? Could you get us that? Could you, could you get us six tickets? Could you get us eight tickets? Could you get us four? I says to Jim, Jim Baxter, Jim, I'm just selling it. He says, oh, I don't know you worry about the, the segregation. I'll let me Just you sell the tickets. I says, oh, okay. So they all come over. And there, were, there was a big crowd that day in Tarrant, in, in East Fife, in yeah. Bayview. There was a good crowd that day. And we, I think we played, played them off the park. They didn't have a bit. Darren Jackson was up front. Our plan that day was, Brian Fairley says, play it as a second division game. Because if you play it like the way they play football, United will play off the park, which United were good at the wee short stuff, the wee short... They played on Gussie Park, which was also tough. And it was all sharp, short and sharp passes. We five-yard, ten-yard passes, one-twos, moving off the ball. That's where the full-timers sort of played on us. Eh? Pass and move, pass and move, where we would ping a long ball and stand and watch. Eh? That's, that's what second division football done for you. But that day, uh, Alan Main was in the goal. As soon as he got the ball... Me and Scotty had to break out to the two fullbacks and didn't let the fullbacks on it. The midfield pushed on that wee bit and stopped the midfielders getting on the ball and they made them kick it long. The big Davy Beaton was just coming in through, but Darren Jackson and Head on the back. And we played them under, we put them under loads of pressure. We long balls into the box. Me and Scotty were getting on the end of it. And we got a result of that day, seven minutes into injury time. And the rest history, but took them to a replay. It was good. We played well. Uh, big Jim Cowell scored that night. Yeah, it was a beautiful Mine, volley. Uh, the, and we played in the Brazil strips that night. Mine were away strips. Yeah. I've, still got the, I've got the highlights of that on videos, VHS somewhere. Uh, well, you, you know, do you know that, that that night, Jim McLean being Jim McLean, right, he knew what we were going to do. Eh? And that night, he brought Big Duncan Ferguson for his debut, for his first team, for Dundee United. And Big Duncan, when they kicked along, eh, Big Duncan was up there against Big Davy Beaton. Big Davy Beaton didn't stand a chance against them. Davy Beaton done well that night, but Big Duncan came on and battered them all over the place. Eh. And it was through Big Duncan's flick on that Kropokovic scored that night, and it made it 2-1. 
and we got beat 2-1 after extra time. We were dead on our legs, eh? we played on the Saturday and Jim McLean wanted it on the Tuesday and no the, the Wednesday because we were going to get another day's rest. Yeah. Working part-time. Well, we were working full-time because we were part-time football players. They were all full-time. They had a wee bit more rest than us and they got the result. And then, sure. they went all the way to the final that year and that was the year Mother went 5-4 or something in the yeah, with, with former Fifer Stevie Kirk scoring, so a little bit of justice. <laughs> Stevie, yeah. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I speak to him now and again. Aye, he but... didn't want to do this. He didn't want to do our show, so... <laughs> Did he not? No, he, when he came back as manager, he, he got a pretty hard time from the fans. Did he? Yeah, he, he wasn't a good manager. Um, that kind of soured things a little bit. Uh-huh. You could always put a word in for us. <laughs> uh, I could speak to him. Uh, but as I say, I mean, I'm still friends with a lot of ex East Fifers. I'll, I'll put the word about CFC. That'd be superb. Yeah, I'll be really grateful for that. So we've got one more question and then we'll go on to your all-time 11s that I, I messaged you about earlier. So I hope you've uh-huh. done your research. So I've done some of them, yeah. Good, good. So... Apparently you'd run a pub in Dundee for a while. So what pub was that? I run a few. I worked for the Mars. In the Mar- I was, because I played football and I had football banter and it, I, I was quite good in a bar. I, had, I liked a laugh and a joke and a wind up. And it was good. It was good atmosphere in the bars. So when Peter Mar bought bars and they were a wee bit run down, he put me in them to try and get them back up. And, uh, I started off in the Mains of Clever House, which was a great pub. Had a big beer garden outside the front. In the summer, it was mobbed. It was good. Good laugh. There was never any trouble. Then he bought this old bar called the Clip Bar, which is about 200 yards from Tanadice. And it was an old, old-fashioned bar. It still had sawdust on the floor. Women weren't allowed in the bar. It was run by older gentlemen still had the aprons on, you know, the, the, the still had the return fonts, you know, the, the ones where you, you return the beer back into the system and you brought it back into the, the glass. They had all that. They had the big brass till. And somebody says to me, boy, you'll never make it there. Never. They're too far. It's older guys. You know, they light the fire on at seven o'clock at night. And it was opposite an old, an old folks housing area. And I says, well, we'll see. So me and my wife went in there and were on the bar and used to get them up. But they took really bad because the old people used to leave the bar at half past two in the old days when the bar shut at half past two, opened at 11, closed at half past two, opened again at five o'clock and closed at 10. But when we took over the bar, we had an all-day license. So the old guys were falling about drunk at three o'clock in the afternoon. So I'd say to my wife, look, go and take the car, get them down the road, drop them off at the house, make sure they get into the house okay. Five o'clock, I'm throwing guys at the door, you know, because they'd never, they'd never had a drink all day before. So I used to put the fire on for them, at coal fire, old coal fire, and I got on well with them. Eh? Some of them were done the United supporters, so, you know, I had a wee bit of banter with them, but between being in it, East Fife player and a Dundee supporter. I used to get them scarves and put the scarves in that ring around their neck. Oh, get that shit off, you know, just the usual way. 
Well, I looked after him. It was a great pub. And it was a good challenge for me because somebody says to me, well, you'll never do it. He says, it's an old man's pub. I was, I was, when I was restocking the bar, I would order vodka and Bacardi and, and rum. It was all whiskies and rum. The vodka never moved because it was all older guys that drunk half pints of beer and rum or whiskey. The first week I was in the pub, I, I ran out of whiskey. I'd never sell, I'd never sell so much whiskey in all my life as in this pub. So you swap the vodka for the, the next order, you swap the vodka for the, the whiskey in the rum. And it was all older guys, really, really nice pub, eh? really good pub. But I used to get a lot of the younger guys coming in that, that supported Dundee, supported United. And then we got a good mixture. The pub was always busy, but that was my, my favourite pub. It was a great pub. And when the TV cameras come into the interviews for the Dundee United game, you'll probably remember it. It was Thompson at tea time at that time. You used to do, if you were playing in a big game on the Saturday, they used to go into different towns and interview people. So they came into the bar that night. And he says, how, how do you feel about the result? I says, oh, we'll beat them. We'll beat them. But Dundee United, I says, oh, we'll beat them. So we'll get them at Bayview, a nice wee tight park. I says, they'll know, know what hits them. I says, we've got a good crowd. The crowd's close and we'll have a big crowd that day. And it, well, we're about done it, but we, it wasn't a, a bit unlucky of this, but we're, we're about done it. That was my biggest. I was absolute. I'm no, a, I'm no an emotional man. Eh? That day when I, I got presented with a man of the match, I burst out crying because I, I felt I'd give this up in one minute for no, for them not to score that goal. Eh? I, I just, I was sick. And I season, and I got, I got interviewed after the game. Done the United game, and I says to them, the, the press at that time, that goal, I'll probably take them all the way to the final because if they carry that luck like that, they'll go all the way to the final, and they did, they did, and I thought they were going to win it that year because I didn't think Motherwell were a good team. Yeah, and I thought they would have won that, but I'm glad they never. I'm glad Motherwell won it. Like. That was one of my most heartbreaking moments like watching any football game. The only one that's come close was like out here in 2015 or 2016, there was a cup final and it was in Vancouver and it was Vancouver, Toronto. And we'd never, we'd never beaten Toronto in this cup for the whole time. And it was the 94th minute. We were up in the tie because it was a two-legged tie. Our centre-back and goalkeeper went for the same ball and they collided and then Toronto equalised 94th, 95th minute to win the cup. And it's like that and the Dundee United game are the two most heartbreaking things I've ever watched in football. Well, I, I, I went back to my local pub and one of, my, one of the guys that I know, George, George Kettle, he's a Dundee United supporter through and through. He had his own business and he had, he had about, I'm sure he had about £3,000 on Dundee United that day. So when I went in, I says to Ray Charles, come on, we're going into my local for a drink. So I went in the smuggler's bar. It goes in. Of course, it was me, Stevie Lennox, Billy Gallagher, and Ray Charles. So we goes into the bar. Of course, we've got all the East Fife blazers, ties, everything on. Walks in. I know the owner, Davey Young. God rest his soul, he's dead now. Goes into the bar, and a big cheer went up. And it was all the Dundee supporters. He went in the bar and the Dundee supporters stood there and the Dundee United supporters stood there. Went in the bar and all the Dundee supporters started cheering. 
this guy George Kettle's come to me and he says to me, you, you done me you three grand. I says to him, I done you three grand. How did I do you three grand? He says, your team played us off the park with it. Played us off the park and I lost three grand. And I says to him, George, come on today. Keep your three grand. Don't worry about it. Put it on East Fife on Tuesday or Wednesday in the replay. Put it on East Fife. He says, well, I can't do that. I just can't. I says, well, I would because we'll beat you on Wednesday or Tuesday. It turned out to be the, the Tuesday. And I says, put it on East Fife on Tuesday. He says, well, I can't do it. And it, I don't think he put a bet on because we'd spoke to him and I says, we're confident of beating you. We were confident in the day and you've got a wee bit of luck. I don't think you'll get that same luck on Tuesday or Wednesday. Because it hadn't been decided then when it was going to be played, whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday. And he, he, I'm sure he, he didn't put money on them. He didn't put money on them that night because of what I'd says and how confident we were of beating them. But we were confident of beating Dundee United. And it was the biggest disappointment that I've had in, in football. <coughs> was the Dundee United game. By, by far. I've played, when I played with St. Johnson, I played with St. Johnson, the first game, big game I played with them was Celtic at Old Parkhead, before it was all done up, when the old jungle and everything was up. I played against some great players there. Uh, McStay, Morris Johnson, Ryan McClare, Frank McGarvey, great players, right? And that, when I walked out on the Parkhead and, and you look at the players and you go, Roy Aitken, Tommy Burns, Paul McStay, just Barney McGrain, you know, all these boys. What players they were. And we, you go on and play against Dundee United when you've got boys like Alan Main, you've got John Clark. John Clark, I thought, was a right player. Wasn't that a great player? Uh, Darren Jackson up front. Now, now can they, these guys didn't come into the same league as them boys, but that, I thought we were... We were really confident of beating Dundee United that day. And what was most disappointing was the, the, the late equaliser. And then no beating them in the replay because we thought that we were yeah. going to beat them. We were, the whole team was sick that day. Absolutely spewing, spewing, you know. Biggest disappointment in my career anyway, that by far, by far. Especially we being a Dundee supporter. Right? Oh, aye. <laughs> yeah. So... Well, uh, before you and Michael, and I need to break the hankies out. Before start greeting. What we'll do we'll, we'll go on to your all-time 11s, Willie, because I think okay. you've, you've mentioned that a couple of players there, my, my jaw's dropping. So um, we'll start off with your best 11 you've played with, and then we'll move on to your best 11 against. Okay, best best 11 I've played with. I'm going to start off with a guy that I played with him at Forfar. He was a tremendous keeper, a great keeper. And a lot, he got a lot of stack for supporters as well because of what he'd done with Scotland. And my, my, my vote goes for Stuart Kennedy, a four for Rangers, ex-Rangers in Scotland. What a, what a keeper he was. Just unbelievable, stopping goals. He, he got, as I say, he got a lot of stack for the crowd because of what he'd done at Wembley. Yeah. People didn't appreciate the job that he'd done at Rangers. He'd done a great job at Rangers. And he'd done a great job for Scotland apart from that Wembley. Uh, Shuri Kendi, great keeper, great keeper. A boy right back, I would play with a guy called Rob Rob Morris. I don't know if you know him. Played with four for I think he played with Cowden Beef. He might have played with Dunfermline. He he, uh, he finished at four for 
Mr. Cool, calm and collected, never panicked, just got the ball, played it 10 yards, great, good defender, got tackles in. Another guy that I played with at left back was, and this was kind of, I've known him for a long time, God rest his soul, he's dead now, Don McVicker, you know Don? Oh yeah. Johnson, Don, Don was a great player, good left foot on him, good defender, good going forward. Don was one of the early fullbacks that was an attacking fullback, anything on his left foot, he had great left foot on him, good defender, quite quick, wee boy, but very, very good, good at going forward. Eh? Uh, <laughs> another boy I played with for for actually, and he was a, he was a good centre, he was a centre half, that was all he was. He headered it where it come from and he kicked it the way he was facing. And to me, in the days, in, in the 80s, that's what centre half done it. And he was Alec Brush. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Before for Wraith Rovers. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember him at Wraith. Good, good centre half. In the day, wouldn't, wouldn't he get a game now, Kenny? But he was kind of slow. He just won the ball headers. And that was his job. He, he just, he kicked the boys the way he was facing. He kicked the ball he, the way he was facing. And he headered that where it come from. That was it. So he was good. And another centre half I played with, got to be Shuri Burgess. Great player. Great, tremendous player. He was a centre half at East at East Fife. Uh, he was he, he was a centre half at Kilmarnock, Falkirk. He turned in well. He tried to be a midfielder against us in, in Bayview, but he never made the grade there. And, and I told him that that night. I said, stick to the centre half position because you're here in midfield. But I had a few good nights out with Stuart. Stuart was a good lad. Uh, the next thing I had for a crosser of a ball was a guy called Ian Gibson, used to be the player manager at St. Johnston. Great right foot on him. Captain of Patrick Thistle at 21. Went to Dundee United. Played a lot of Dundee United Euro- European uh, football. Ended up getting the player manager job at St. Johnston. Great player. Created a lot of chances for me just because he was so accurate with his crossing. He was like Beckham. Yeah, no matter where he got the ball, he just put in an engine in an area for you at that. And I scored a lot of goals off him. And another midfielder, Charlie Adam, big pal of mine, God rest his soul. He's he's dead in as well now. Great player. At every level I've played with him. I played with him at schoolboys, Sunday Boys League, Sunday Welfare League, Sunday Amateur, Saturday Amateurs, junior football and senior football. Charlie was probably the most gifted player. That I've ever seen it, but he was a nut job. He didn't know how to control himself. He didn't know how to behave himself. He was ten times worse than me. Off the park, he was crazy. On the park, he was a great footballer, but just a very, very quick temper. So he was—he was another player, great player. Another wee boy I liked to play with, and I thought he was a very, very good player. And I, sometimes he was underrated. No bias, five fans. Tommy McCaffrey. Tommy McCaffrey was loved him. Yeah, great. Uh, Jimmy Morton at St Johnson wide on the left, great player. He, he just got inducted into the Hall of Fame at St Johnson. He phoned us up. Still friends with him on Facebook. Good player. Good left foot on him. Scored a lot of goals for Jimmy as well. He's crossing. Good ability. He played left back, left midfield. He played left wing. Mostly he played left wing. Good, good player. Forfer guy, played with Dundee United for, for all his sins. Uh, Craig Brewster, played with Wraith, played with 
score for it when I played with him. Good player. Take a goal. Good, good on the ball. Wasn't a great player when you were doing 2 0 but he was a great player when you were up 1 0 You know, he was good on the ball. And then <laughs> another wee boy played wide on the left. Wee Graham Payne, ex Dundee right. I played with him at St Johnson. Good player. No, no. Wasn't, a, wasn't the quickest a player, but same again. He was, he, he'd go past players as if they weren't there. You know, he, he had good ability, good on the ball. I think he was about four foot 11 or something, you know. Just one of these boys that just so close to the ground, he just went past players if the limit there. So that, that would be the team that I've played with. I've had a look at some of the teams that I've played against, the players, and I, I, there's a couple of, couple of good ends in there that, that I've played, it, especially playing with Selick and coming up at Parkhead. And, you know, the, the first thing was Paddy Bonner in the goal. He was... Oh. I mean, he had three great saves, just headers that were in the top corner, you know. And we, we weren't, it was nothing's up at the time at Parkhead. And I, I've nodded them in. And I'm, I'm away, I'm, I'm going to the crowd, eh? and the Celtic crowd have cheered. And I'm like, oh, what the, even the crowd are cheering at us, you know. That's <laughs> over, it's over the bar for a corner. And I'm like, oh, what? How did he get that, you know? There was another one, a header down at the near post. He tipped it around the post. He just saved it with his fingernails, I think. You know, it was right inside the post. Eh? So, I mean, sure, he played with sure He was a great keeper. Paddy Bonner played against some. He had some great saves against me, so I'm going to go with him. Another one was Danny McGrain. Danny McGrain was a great footballer. Very, very difficult to play against because he never stopped running. He just wanted to, he wanted to play right wing all the time. And it, you know, if you're if you're playing up front and you're you've got to back track a boy that's got a good engine in him and good going forward. And I wasn't the fittest of boys, but uh, he was he was up there with well, I mean I think you go and count his caps and see how many caps he's got for Scotland. Eh? So it was him going to Scotland again, Willie Miller and Alec McLeese at double centre half. What, wow. what a part unbelievable. And I was you know what? I was tempted to put Davy Neary and, and uh, Paul Hegarty in there, but I think I think William Muller and Alec McLeish were streets above them. But if Davy Neary and Paul Hegarty played at a different era from McLeish and Muller, Neary and Hegarty probably would have played for Scotland and captained them for years and years and years. But fortunately for Scotland at the time, Muller and McLeish were the best two pairing at the, at the time. And then I've got to go with the boy Tommy Burns at left back when he played for Celtic when we played at Parkhead. Tommy, just these guys are just on a different level of football. Eh? And it's it was uh, that day at Parkhead we got beat two one or two nothing was it two nothing at Parkhead nineteen eighty five never forget. But uh, Tommy Burns was same as Danny McGrain just wanted to get forward all the time. Great on the ball, he was quick. Pacey, he would take boys on. I didn't think he was that pacey, but he would go past players. Eh? And then I had, <laughs> this is probably one of the one of the cheekiest players I've ever played against. Chick Chamley, you remember him? Oh yeah, he was a character. What, what, he was, what, what a character. I played with him against Forfar in the, the league on the Saturday. And Clyde Bank, he played me, it was a Clyde or Clyde Bank, kind of mind who played, maybe Clyde Bank. We played in the league on the Saturday. And 
They beat us 4-3 that day at Kilbowie Park. The old Kilbowie yeah. there, there, all there anyway. But I was there once. Chick Charlie hurt, like, he scored the hat-trick that day and he hurt in, like, one from about 50 yards, another two, like, 30 and 25 yards. And it, we played them, we had a replay in the Scottish Cup on the Tuesday night up at Station Park for Forfa. And I say to them after the game, right, I say to them on the Saturday, I would stay off the drink for Wednesday because he was absolutely leaking a drink. You know, just absolutely stinking. With it. So I say to them, I would stay off the drink. I says, but since you scored three, you've maybe allowed a few. Eh? And he scored this wonder goal like from 40 yards. It was a top corner volley right in the Queen's head. So he knocked the Queen's head off in the posted stamp. So we played them. We played them on the Tuesday night in the Scottish Cup replay. And I says to him, "How are you tonight, Charlie?" He says, "I'm fine." He says, uh, "I couldn't even mind the plane on Saturday." And he scored a hat trick. Wow! This guy was this guy was simply just class on the ball, but he's drinking and, and whatever else he done just held him back. Eh? But what a player he was! Unbelievable. I remember him playing at Bayview once and getting loads of abuse, but he gave abuse back, and I like that. It's like if you're given a bit of banter back and forth, and he took it really well. Yeah, he was always like that, Chick Charlie. And he always got the stick with the lifestyle that he led. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, Michael, I didn't, I didn't lead a, a great lifestyle, but you know, I, I never done it on a Friday night, and I never done it on a Saturday morning before the game, you know. But Chick Charlie, he was drinking Friday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning. And then he would turn up drunk at the park and he would he would get a game, you know? And he would he was he was a wonderful player, he had great feet on him. So he he got that. Another guy I like him because he one he was great for Dundee. I didn't like him when he went to Rangers, the boy John Brown. Oh but yeah. He great, he was a great player for Dundee, great player for Rangers, but I didn't like him when he went to Rangers. He was a good player. Ian Durant, great player. Just just these, honestly, you think you're no bad football player until these guys you play against these guys, and they're they're on a different they're in a different class. Eh? They're just and it, before Ian Durant's injury, I, th- I thought he was a wonder kid. He was a great player. Yeah. No, I just and then Davy Cooper. Oh. You know, I can't believe I'm on the same park as him. I, yeah. I'm just standing there like now we didn't have phones in the days. I probably would have went up and got a selfie with him. That's, that's guaranteed. I couldn't believe that I'm on the same park as these guys. I, I, I couldn't believe that I've walked on the same turf as Chick Charlie, John Brown, Davy Cooper, Ian Durant. And my final striker was Ali McCoyst. <laughs> you know, it's just... I'm sitting here with a big glow and a glee on my face because I still kind of believe to this day that I've played with them guys or played against Aye. them. I mean, that's a team oh. of Scottish legends. Oh, oh, amazing, amazing. And see, when you tell boys that, you say, well, I played with them, I played against them. I was meant to replace him at St. Johnson when he went to Sunderland. Yeah. So he went to Sunderland in 84, 85 season. And I joined St. Johnson in 85. And by all accounts, I was meant to replace him. Now, when somebody says you have to replace... Now, Ali Johnson, uh, Ali McCoy was in a 
a big name at that time. He went to Sunderland, but he wasn't a big name for St. John's. He scored some goals. But to what he is now, or what he, what he was, playing for Scotland now, when, as soon as you mentioned Ali McCoyst, I was like, oh, he was a good player. But when you actually see him now, what he's done in the game, you're like, oh, mighty. And it's, it's hard to believe that some people say, oh, Willie Brown had to replace him. So you didn't, I didn't realise how good he was at that time. In 1985, Ali McCoyst wasn't a big name. But when you, when you hear him what he's done for Scotland and Rangers, and, you know, just unbelievable. So I've had some great memories out of football and I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Eh? And a lot of my good memories, and I'm not just saying this, a lot of my good memories were at East Fife. They were a great club, great club. And I, I would love to go back. I've, I've been in, Jim Stevenson's always phoning me up saying, oh, well, when could you come up to the park and you could work in the lounge and do this and do that. And I'll say, oh, all right, that'd be great, Jim. That'd be great. But with my job, Jim phones me up and says, well, could you come up on Saturday? I'll say, oh, that'd be great, Jim. I'll make it. I'm, not, I'm still at home. Thursday night, my phone goes, well, could you travel tomorrow? I've got to phone Jim and say, Jim, I'm sorry, I can't make it. I see you, you're a pain in the arse. You said you would come up. And you, I said, Jim, my, my job comes first. Yeah. I told you I might. You know? So Jim stopped phoning me. I would love to go back. I was trying to organise all the East X East Five players that I go about with and still on the group chat. I was trying to organise the last day of the season going to uh, hospitality. I was trying to organise that for a day out because we always have one day out a year where we all get together and go for a beer. And I says, well, there's your perfect opportunity. How do we not go to an East Five game? So I don't, I'll, I'll wait and see what the fixtures are because my young lad, he wants to come. Because he was always at the games with me. He went about me. Remember Bud Porteous, the physio? Yeah. Well, he went about me. My young lad went about me. Bud's young lad. They still keep in touch. So they're all wanting to come. So when my young lad says to Bud's young lad, my dad's trying to organise hospitality. Oh, let us know we'll come. So they're all wanting to come as well. So... I'll wait until the fixture list comes out and I'll try and get up and, and I'll, I'll try and book a hold and try and get up there. The fixture list's out. Um, so you can, yeah, be sure to Just make sure week. that you get it. And um, yeah, find out when you're going to be there and give me a text. I'd love to buy you a pint and thank you for coming on. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, 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 we've got a, a real mishmash of uh, age groups that listen to the podcast and for somebody like me who was after your time, I've I've still absolutely loved it. It's, it's been great, and the yeah. stories have been hilarious. And from a personal point of view, listening to the players that you've played against, I think the only person that rivals you for best eleven against so far is Gary Naismith. Um, yeah. So uh, you're, you're in some esteemed company there. Yeah, for me as well, because like honestly, you were one of my all-time favourite East Five players when I was like watching them in the early days. It's just. You play the game the way that I love to, to see it played and just hearing these stories, it's just brought back so many memories and it just triggered little things as we were going through everything. Sorry, my internet kind of crapped out. All these that we've done, I've never been kicked out of this in any of them. And this is the one I get kicked out of two or three times. So. But it's been, thank you so much for joining us, Willie. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure, honestly. I, love I can now say with confidence that Willie Brun is God, so... <laughs> Uh, good. Thanks very much.
Thanks so much, Robbie. You take care and safe travels and enjoy Greece. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely fantastic stuff from Willie Brown there. And some great stories from different times of football. I mean, we've heard all the stories from the kind of 2000 and 2010 teams and all those guys that we've had on the show. Some amazing stories from Willie there about a time when, I mean, in the 70s and 80s in particular, dressing rooms in Scottish football were a completely different place and players as well. It's just, they like the bevy and it's all this kind of training and all this stuff that you've got nowadays, monitoring every single party in, none of that happened. I mean, Willie himself said he could talk to us for hours and as you said at the start of the show, we could have listened to him for hours. Yeah, brilliant guy to talk to. I really, really enjoyed his stories, you know, whether it be about knocking somebody out over a hamper or, you know, even about um, taking the Dundee boys up just essentially to show them the graffiti by the sounds of things. So, no, it was it was really, really good. I like these stories from St. Johnson as well. And he's all-time living against, you know, I sat with my mouth open. Um, I didn't expect it to be anywhere near as good as it was to play against, like, Danny McGrain and, you know, um, McStay and, and players like that. You're a bit, like, mental. You wouldn't ever imagine that. Yeah, I was I was quite surprised as well. And, I mean, there's a couple of things in that that I really liked. You obviously never really saw him. Well, you didn't, you didn't see him play. But his last game at Bayview, as he talked about there, I remember it so well because he did give it to the fans. He kind of fingered them off, flicked them off. And it was frustration. Maybe he didn't finger them. But he... <laughs> give them the finger is what I was trying to say. <laughs> I don't think they'd be too upset if they fingered them. <laughs> <laughs> That's just an added bonus to your ticket. <laughs> oh, brilliant. We've had the bobby and then we've been fingered. <laughs> so, yeah, so he addressed like that last game. And he, and I'm glad he did because it did, when he left, he kind of left under a dark cloud. But we didn't know all the stuff that was going on because back then there's no internet. So you didn't really get to hear all these stories and things weren't out there. I mean, it's all different times as well. The kind of player that Willie was, you can't be that player in modern day football because it feels that you just can't tackle anymore. And I love a hard tackling midfielder. And there's still a couple around, but just now it's like you seem to go in hard at all. And it's a yellow card or a red card. And with VAR now... Something you would maybe have got away with, you just can't get away with anything. And it's taken that out of the game. And I, I like the physicality of a game. I love the physicalness of Scottish football. And I do feel it's kind of sanitised the game a little bit. I know folk will say, oh, but you have to let the flair p- players play, etc., etc. I like a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, if, I was actually um, watching an interview with Kieran Bowie, um, the boy that was at Ray Frobers, who's gone down to Fulham, and talking about how he's going to go from playing with men straight into Fulham's youth team and back to playing with boys again and he said that what he's finding is that obviously Scottish football is really really physical and now he's going to have to adapt his game to more thinking about you know the pass and, and using his his mentality more and um, you never know whether that's I'm just playing service to the, the journalists that they're speaking to but you know there does seem to always be talk about Scottish game being a physical game you know you, you only have to look at the 
the Italian leagues or the Spanish leagues and watching players rolling all about the place at the, the, the slightest touch. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the sort of players that you're talking about, the, the Roy Keynes, you know, the players with a little bit of dig about them. I love that as well. You know, we've, we've seen those sort of players down, even in my time at Bayview, boys that weren't afraid to stick their boot in, whether it be a, a Div Muir or a Dan Smith or any of these sort of boys that are, are not afraid to leave a wee bit on a, a player as well. Smarty was another one. So I think that, yeah, I, I'm a bit like you. I, I miss that from the game. I obviously can't talk about Willie Brown, but his, his story spoke for himself. Like we, we had a guy, Steve Spider Ramsey, for a few years. Hated before he joined us. Loved when he was with us because he did that. Hated again once he moved on. But like listeners, let us know. Who have been your favourite Scottish football hard men over the years? If they're from East Fife, even better. But just in general, who have you, you loved to see? I guess in the modern game, Scott Brown is probably the guy that you'd think of as being the, the hard man. Winds folk up, goes in tough. I, I know a lot of folk hate him. I actually really like him because of how he plays like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this bit where Juf when Juf was at Rangers. Oh. He was right up in his face. And you could just tell that he's a complete wind-up merchant. Um, and yeah, you know, very much like that. Sticks the boot in. I mean, I loved when Joey Barton came up to Scotland and he was given it the yeah. big in um, and came up and fell pretty much flat on his face. Um, you know, tried to say that he was going to leave this on boys, etc. And couldn't. I mean, even Div Muir, um, when he said he was going to go out and nail Scott Brown and couldn't get near him, it just shows what a good player Scott Brown is and definitely underrated. And you hear Willie talking about breaking Stuart Burgess's leg and then they're still mates nowadays. It's like, fantastic. Yeah, that, that one gave me a, a proper laugh. It's just a bit like, uh, I told him he wasn't a midfielder. So. <laughs> you still do get those tackles, of course, in like the, the lower leagues, Lowland League and East of Scotland League and still in the juniors. So I mean, it's still around. But I've got two stories I want to share about Willie Brown that we never covered in the chat there. The first one is from John Tyndall, who says he remembers a pre-season game he thinks it was pre-season anyway, where a stray dog ran on the pitch at Bayview from the Aberhill end, which was the school end. It was barking at all the players, they were kind of shiting themselves, until Willie picked the dog up, marched to the side of the pitch and chucked it over the barrier. He said, pure metal. He also trained the Leaving Mouth Supporters Club football team a couple of times and he ran them ragged. They used to do something called Union Jack Runs, which John Tyndall says was a right bastard. And he would have told them that himself, but they were too scared to. But they said he was a great guy. They loved him at Bayview. And I didn't actually know that he, he took some of the sessions for the, the supporters club team back in the day. So that was good to know. And the other story we got was from Alan Kirk out in Texas, who told us about a, a trip up to Ross County. It was a Scottish Cup game. It was on a Sunday. So the players were all in the social club and they'd arrived and they couldn't get in because it was still all locked up. So they all decided to to moon Willie Brown because they saw him at the window of the social club and they're like, just they've got their asses out and stuff and then someone called the police on them. But then the police just came and said, let, let these lads in, they need a drink. So nothing happened off it, but uh, he wanted me to ask Willie if he remembered that, but we didn't have time during the interview, but yeah. He, he was a, a great character, one of those kind of character guys from Scottish football. He mentioned a few others himself, like Chick Charlie and stuff. And, I mean, I'm talking about hard men disappearing from the game. Real characters seem to be disappearing from the game as well. And maybe it, it's a good thing in some way because you've got more professional professionals. But it's nice to have a kind of 
a rogue guy, like you Frank McAvaney, where's the birds kind of guy, and Charlie Nicholas, Champagne Charlie, all those kind of guys have kind of just left the game a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of that, I don't know if you've seen this yet with the, the time difference in Canada, but um, Phil Thompson, Charlie Nicholas and Matt Letizia have all been punted from Soccer Saturday. No! Um, yeah, um, Matt Letizia has been given some really big opinions on social media about the whole COVID stuff um, and that he thinks it's essentially a hoax. Oh. And yeah. And I, th- I don't know if it's just off the back of that that you've um, they've maybe just decided to freshen it up a little bit. Um, Sky do seem to be going um, along the lines of getting more women involved um, in Same terms here. of their, yeah, in terms of their, their commentary team and stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see something like Kenya Luko or whatever doing a bit of the, the match day commentary. But yeah, do you want to know what I mean? People like Phil Thompson, Matt Letizia and, and, and Charlie Nicholas, they're, they're dinosaurs of the game now. You know, the game is a lot different and I think that in realistic terms, you, you need to keep up with the times and in particular if you're wanting to capture a, a younger audience, maybe it is time to sort of freshen that up because I mean, for as long as I've been watching football, there's certainly been those mainstays. I hope they never get rid of Jeff Stelling because I, I, I don't think that whoever gets that job will replace him but I think that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite excited to see a different lineup on Soccer Saturday as well. Yeah, I guess it's going to be more going down the roads of like the Jamie Redknapp and Carragher and all those kind of guys. But I mean, even them, they've kind of, they're from a bit of a different era as well. So maybe you'll have like the Peter Crouches and, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Times change, but something that doesn't change are our fun segments of the show. And it's time now for another one of them. It's Who Are You? So, welcome to another edition of Who Are You? Who, 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 who. So, well done to everyone last week who got the correct answer. Um, I think, again, the usual suspects were in first. So, I think the first person right this week was Liam Anderson. So, well done, Liam. You got in there before anybody else did. The answer was, of course, Paul McQuaid. Paul, the son of the legendary Peter, um, his Wikipedia page is a joy to behold, so please do and go and have a little read of that. I, I popped him a message um, to ask him if he was aware of it, and he said he was, it's his friend, but I'm just guessing he doesn't know how to edit it. Um, <laughs> I, also spoke, I spoke to Paul about the opportunity about potentially getting him and his dad on the show um, to do a father-son podcast, but Paul works away a wee bit just now, and he said that his dad doesn't even have a mobile phone, uh. so we need to think logistically we can make that work but I do think that would be a good show if you're interested then yeah definitely give us a shout we can see what we can put together but more importantly here is this week's one so let's see if Michael can get one right he didn't get that one last week which will be a surprise to absolutely no one but here we go this week's one again I've tried to make it a little bit easier after last week Um, so here we go start off with as always date of birth so it was born on the 20th of April 1966 Mike's like, right, this is my era. Started his career at Dundee, where he played over 200 games. Had various spells, including a lone spell in Middlesbrough, as well as playing for a spattering of teams, including Dunfermline, Motherwell, Hibs, and Dundee United, and a spell in Australia too. He was capped seven times for the Scotland under-21 team. 
before finally ending his career at East Fife in 1999-2001. Who am I? Oh, so another tough one there who I thought I had it, but turned out I didn't. So, yeah, see how you get on. Let us know if you've worked out who that was this week. Very popular section of that. And what I think is also a popular section, at least it is on this side of the pond. It's time now to find out if Kenny Duker, a doctor, fancies a chocolate digestive. Say you're sitting at home, Kenny, and you decide to have a hot beverage to to warm your day up. What would be your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee, or something else? Oh, I would definitely, I would definitely be a, a coffee, but no, no after one o'clock because it, it it makes you feel like if I have one after one o'clock, it makes me feel awful for the rest of the day. But um, I, I'm, I'm a coffee in the morning. Maybe a tea in the afternoon kind of guy. I see. I'm bad for having a coffee because I'm I'm a night owl. I have coffee at like ten, eleven at night, and then it gives me that oh. kick, and then I just can't can't drop off to sleep. So that's no, why. Like I, on a Thursday, on a Thursday, I work night shift, so I'm up all day. Have a bit of a sleep, so then I've got a caffeine free day on a on a Thursday, and then. On a Thursday night shift, I used to go out and the first thing I would do would be go and get a coffee. But I, 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 see, at night time, it brings on the shits. I'm not kidding you. So <laughs> I, to, I really had to nip that in the bud. It's not the, be, no the best when you're out in house calls and you're, oh, you're, uh, you're touching cloth. <laughs> so when you're having your coffee... Like, that is good. Well, oh, good. See, we're, get, we're getting free medical advice on the show. I like that. It's fun. Exactly. Having coffee's a great laxative. You heard it here first. <laughs> I find that with black tea, but anyway, we're completely going off tangent now in this section. If you're having your coffee, and do you have a sweet tooth? Do you like to have a biscuit with it? Um, there's always see see at work, see at the at the surgery. There's always cakes going about, and one of the one of the admin staff, Lynn at work, she makes the like the best lemon drizzle cake that I have ever tasted. Nice. So lemon drizzle, there you go, lemon drizzle cake. Lemon drizzle with a coffee. I was going to ask if you dunk, but I guess you you don't really dunk that in a coffee. It's too good oh, to dunk. Uh, it depends. It depends. We've all heard the Peter, the Peter Cage joke, haven't we? <laughs> Absolutely, the SES of biscuits. Yeah. Anyone fancy a chocolate Kenny Duker there, having a sweet tooth. You wouldn't think a doctor would have such an unhealthy lifestyle, but all the biscuits disappearing from his his doctor's surgery. But he's, as he said, everything in moderation, it's all good. I'm sticking with Dr. Duker's advice. Yeah, well, anything in moderation is good. Uh, my cousin just dropped off a bottle of wine to me tonight and I really want to moderately smash it, but I probably better not do that. Um, but yeah, look, good thing Kenny's a, not a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> um, things could definitely be a lot worse. I mean, you, maybe if he was, then your dental bills would be a little bit cheaper, mate. It's quite expensive for dental stuff out here. 
So on last week's show, we mentioned we wanted to get some of your memories or great stories from away days following the Fife. And we've had a good response so far, but we want a lot more because we know there's going to be a lot more stories out there. And we've got a few to bring you from different eras this week. So we'll get into some of them just now. So let's let's get Lee to, to kick things off. So the first one's going to go, go to a friend of the show, Ross Hutchison. So hello, Ross, and thanks so much. He's, um, he started off by saying another great podcast this week, which will be an absolute shock to no one these days because they're all great, especially our chocolate digestive section, which another fan um, mentioned to me this week that they liked it. So finally, Mike, there's somebody on our side. But anyway, this is down to Ross, and he said, an away day memory that really sticks out for me is the game in 2008 Eastern when we won the league. There was another reason other than the obvious. I travelled through the game with my uh, with my dad and his big mate, Big Andy McKinley, who sadly passed away in 2012. Both of them followed East Fife all over the country for years. In the car on the way through, they told me that the last time they were at the ground in the 80s, 90s, they got into the ground and they bought a pie in Bovril and Andy took his first bite into his pie and found a wedding ring in it. So he handed it into the pie hut so that it could hopefully be returned to the owner. In 2008, we got to the ground to go for a pie and bottle, and he tells the boy serving the story, and it was the same boy that served him almost 20 years before. The boy thanked, uh, remembered him and thanked him again for his decency and handing it in and gave the three of us our pie and bottle for free. A fairly good day out, a league trophy and a free pie and bottle, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. That's a fantastic story. I mean, the chances were the same guy in the pie stall as well 20 years later. I know at Bayview we had guys that were in the pie stall for a, a number of years as well, but... Yeah, biting into a pie and finding a wedding ring. It's like, I wonder nowadays how many folk would actually hand that back or how many folk would try and pawn it. Yeah, I'd probably be in the pawn section, to be honest. Um, I suppose it depends on where you stand as a a human being. We had a a few others um, come through. So we had one through come from Charlie Simpson. So um, a group of the younger fans going down to Berwick on the supporters bus the week after winning the league um, at Clyde in a fancy dress. Most of us as cowboys and Indians getting kicked out of the Asdas at Dunbar from breaking into song, singing championies in the toilets and banging the toilet stall uh, the toilet stall walls like a drum to the beat of the song. So that was a great one. And also Charlie got Paul McQuaid as well. And Charlie's one of the younger fans. So well done to you. Now, talking of Berwick, uh, we'll finish this section off this week with a, a couple of stories about Berwick. Uh, one of them is from Alan Kirk, who we've mentioned before, from Texas. Now, this is one going way back. I mentioned last week we were looking for stories about the legend that was Chink. He passed away a few years ago, and he he was just like batshit crazy. It, for anyone that didn't have the, the pleasure of meeting Chink, he basically looked a little bit like Charles Manson, um, with the beard and everything, and he kind of... He had missing teeth, and he was a scary-looking dude. And if he liked you, everything was fine. So this is a story about going down to to Berwick in what was called Willie's Cortina, the Willie-mobile. There was a guy called Willie, Willie's brother Jim, wee Stevie Llewellyn, Big Stevie, Big Stevie's pal, and we drew and the legend that was Chink. This whole day... Police had chased the supporters bus after they had stopped at an off licence because you weren't meant to be drinking. So that was part of it. Then they'd got into the social club and they were squirting the barman with a drinks dispenser. Chink, this is before Christmas, so Chink decided that he wanted some tinsel. So to get the tinsel, he burnt down the Christmas tree in the social club. 
Wow. And, yeah. And the police came and they got kicked out and the supporters bus window got broken on the way home as well. Nobody was near the bus. I think some fans had to get a lift home though on the players bus because they couldn't travel home on the bus. But that reminded me of another story when we were down at Berwick and we were in the old social club and Scotland were playing England at the rugby. And it was live on BBC before kickoff, so we all piled in, obviously Scotland, England, Berwick, the whole border thing. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it was the start of it, and they were playing God Save the Queen, the national anthem, and someone threw their glass bottle of beer at the TV, and it smashed the TV, and we got hoofed out of the social club. Oh, wow. Those trips to Berwick back in the day were absolutely mental. Berwick's one of my favourite away days, actually. I kind of hope that we, we manage to cross paths with them again, because that is a great away day. I've, I've been trying to rack my brains. I mean, because, I mean, the, with the Burger Crew, we had some absolutely mental away days back in the day. Um, you know, I've touched on one at uh, Queen's Park, uh, one of our um, loyal fans getting to a, a tussle with the, the Rocksteady security, which I believe you caused, Mike. Um, but we'll Maybe. move on from that. Uh, <laughs> Had um, I don't know if you remember this one, but when we went up to was it Huntley, um, my dad's friend Richard came with us and then fell down the hill when he was trying to take a pee because he was that drunk. Um, we also had yeah various other ones with Greg Williams, um, who I touched on last week at Fair Dodger, who got all the way from Markinch to Elgin and back without having to pay his train fare, and into the ground for free. I still don't know how he managed that one, but yeah, that day essentially cost him next to nothing. There's, there's, there's so many stories that we could go on at that time. Um, there's a particular uh, story about a trip to Easterland, which I'm sure I'll let Michael maybe tell you next week about a, a, a young, attractive lad um, almost knocking himself unconscious. But yeah, we'll, we'll come to that maybe in another show. For Beric as well, Soccer AM, when it first started off, so just before Tim Lovejoy started the show, so they wanted people to do fan cams. So we did a fan cam. I took a camcorder down to Berwick on the supporters bus. We filmed the whole day and that was shown on Soccer AM. So I still have that on VHS. And I've got all the stuff. They only showed 10 minutes, maybe not even that, on Soccer AM. But I've got like two hours worth of video footage that I need to somehow get up on YouTube we also did one to Stranraer as well, which I think I still have, but I don't think I've got the unedited footage. I think I only have the Sky footage for that. That was the Brown Bear Pub in Berwick, which I don't think exists anymore. And it went really downhill. It was fantastic. We used to go there all the time pre, pre-games. pre And uh, yeah, I, I loved my trips to Berwick, wandering about the Saturday market, just the whole Scotland-England thing. Fantastic stuff. But anyway, get your stories in. We want to hear more, especially... Not just modern day stuff, but any old stuff from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. That, that's always going to be good as well. A lot, of course, of away days. There's, there's some serious drinking in, involved on away trips, I think it's fair to say. So that brings us nicely to this week's Wavelength. And a song by English band, Serious Drinking. And it's all about finding love on the terraces with a girl that loves football as much as you do. This is Serious Drinking with Love on the Terraces. Her name was Sharon, she came for town, then with Sister Karen. I 
found it. Listen to the T-Store by the Bartley stand. I saw my mates indulged in mindless violence. The main stand was reduced to total silence. Love at first sight. Plus the games began to fight. But I couldn't give a toast. Cause it meant will be no loss. It was love at first sight. Plus the games began to fight. But I couldn't give a toast. Cause it meant will be no loss. drinking there, love on the terraces from their 1982 album The Revolution Starts at Closing Time. When I played that song over here on our show on the radio, someone had got in touch with one of the guys from Series Drinking to say that they'd heard him on the radio over here, so I ended up chatting to him, which was fantastic because it was a band I loved way back in the day. That was their answer to a song by the angelic upstarts called Blood on the Terraces, which was all about football hooliganism. And You'll be glad to know I'm bringing something to this show, Lee, that I've done over here for the last three years. Next month, on Wavelength, it's Football Violence Awareness Month. It's all songs about football violence. I'm going to bring out special ribbons and little bands for us to support the football hooligans because what have they got to do these days? They can't meet up. So we've got to support them. So Football Violence Awareness Month kicks off in Wavelength. It all started because, by mistake... But there had been a bit of trouble on the Whitecaps games. And I meant to say, obviously, we don't condone that on our show. But instead, I went, obviously, we don't condemn that on our show. And I hadn't picked <laughs> up that I said that. So then we just started Football Violence Awareness Month after that. Funny, I was watching Rise of the Foot Soldier last week, um, which is about Carlton Leach, um, who was in the inner city farm where like, Cass Pennant and stuff like that. And you've never watched that, actually. It's a pretty good film and interesting about his life. Um, yeah, football hooliganism is obviously a bit glorified in terms of the, the movies, if you think of Green Street, Football Factory, LA Days, etc, 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 etc. And certainly a lot of bandwagon jumps on that. But I can't really say I've seen much of it as a, as a football fan. I think the closest to it was down at Gretna, when my dad had his moustache and people, um, I don't know if, if, for those of you who don't know, my dad's got metal plates in his arm, you know what I'm going to say, um, and he can't lift his hands up above his head. So he had one hand a little bit higher than the other one seemed to be pointing out and what can only be described <laughs> as a bit of a salute. And they started <laughs> my dad F off Hitler. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, obviously... Being my dad's son, I stepped up to defend him and then realised it was going to be a 20 and about 5 um, and bricked it. Um, so yeah, that's probably the closest I've seen. My dad will be listening to this one and he'll have a chuckle, maybe any of the other burger crew that listened to it. But yeah, that's probably the closest that I've seen to any sort of football violence. 
I just remember I was watching the latest Frankie Boyle live thing that was on the BBC a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about everyone in Scotland knows that any Scottish man with a moustache is a fucking psychopath. Pretty much. Maybe if I shave my beard, people will just think I'm a little bit mental. Yeah. The There's a comedian I like called Richard Herring that did a whole show called Hitler's Moustache because he wanted to see if he grew a Hitler moustache, how people would react to him. So then he did it at the Edinburgh Festival and then he toured it for a year. So for a whole year, he had to go around with a Hitler moustache. Christ almighty. His girlfriend was not best pleased. No, I don't imagine she would be. Anyway, that, that's coming up in next week's show. What did you think of my Scottish rap selection last week, Lee? Holy wow, that was absolutely terrible. I would love to say that I enjoyed that. Um, I didn't. Ah. <laughs> We've not had much reaction to that on the, no. the social pages. In fact, little to none. And if that doesn't tell you that what the, the rest of the, the listeners thought about that, Michael, then nothing will. Uh, well, I wonder what they're going to make of our rap battle, which I thought we'll do this over two parts. Primarily because I'm not prepared for mine, because I was trying to find my old Fife Fife baby lyrics and I can't find the copy of the fanzine it was in. And... I will find that and I might rework that or get in touch with my, my good bud from Edinburgh, Mad Hat McGore, shout out to the big man and get him to lay down some beats for me. But we'll, we'll start off with Lee's one this week and then we'll bring you mine next week. Also, this gives me a chance to see what Lee has brought to the table. Yeah, well, to be honest, I, I wrote mine on the night after we recorded because I knew that if I didn't, that I would probably just put it off and put it off. Now, I don't have the technical know-how to put the the track to it, but what I've gone for is... No, no, I've gone... I, I like to think of myself as an upstanding member of the community, Michael, and I was trying to think about members of the rap community that are, you know, they're not talking about bitches and all this sort of stuff. I wanted to, I wanted to go with a clean rapper, and I couldn't think of anybody else other than Mr. Will Smith. Um, so... I've decided to go with the Fresh Prince um, in terms of it being a popular one. Now, I've never once been a rapper, and as you've heard from my singing throughout the weeks, I'm definitely not a singer either. Um, so I've tried to, I will try to, and I'm going to say this in inverted commas, rap this. Um, and Michael will probably have to splice the different parts of these together after I no doubt fall over my words trying to act all cool. But we'll, we'll see how we get on. So here it is. It's the East Fife Rap. Please do not share this with anyone. Um, I'm doing this purely out of love for the legions of the Glory Days of Gold followers. And here we go. Here's Lee Gillis with the East Fife rap, making a complete tit of himself. So here we go. Y'all ready for this? Do, do, do. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. If you'd like to take a minute, just pause and hold. I'll tell you why I love the black and the gold. In Glenrothes, born and raised, at Bayview is where I spent my Saturdays, singing Cowden family, acting a fool, McManus banging the men like the Methyl Rowell, then the Dundee boys, they were up to no good. Smarty stuck his fingers up somewhere rude. He put his fingers right up McManus's beak, then Bakey said, cut that shite out boys, you're making me seek. On the pitch down by the sea, we had Toro and Big Kenny D. We won the league in 2008, Ranger tried to beat our record, but they weren't great. I pulled up to Bayview when I was seven or eight and I yelled to my dad, Oi, Baldy, let's get to the gate. I went for the turnstiles. I was totally sold on the methyl team and the black and the gold. 
Thank that you. Was, that was actually really, really good. Like if someone said to me, Lee Gillis, rapper, I would think, aye, he has had a lot of chocolate and sweets in his time. But apparently, different kind of rapper. Yeah, exactly. You know, people don't take my my songwriting prowess seriously. You know, Phil Charletta, watch your back, son. There's, there's more talent than you. And the other person that actually I think that we should get on um, the show that I was speaking to recently is Neil Anderson, son of Liam. Yes. Who is an opera singer yeah. and doing very well for himself. Very, very well for himself. I know that Neil listens. Hello, Neil. I hope you're well, mate. You're a top guy. Definitely want to get him on the show to talk about a different type of music. Um, maybe he could record a, a song for East Fife if he could maybe get something that could write one for him. I think that he'll definitely win the prize for the best voice um, considering that he went to the Operatic Society in London. So big shout out to Neil. And yeah, let us know what you thought of my, and again, I'll say it in inverted commas, rap. I was quite proud of it. And thanks to my wife, Rachel, who helped me a little bit. I, I actually genuinely think, like good lyrics, delivery... You need a, a few more F's and C's thrown in there with some bitches and stuff. But... Nah. Well, like I say, my mum listens, and if I said the C word, she literally lives 50 steps from my house. She would probably bring a high heel and stab it in my eye. So I, I, I definitely can't do that. I, I don't swear in this show nearly as much as I do in real life, purely out of genuine fear of my mum at 31 I... years old. So some good rap stuff there. We'll have part two of the rap battle in next week's show and then you can let us know who had the best one. I think Lee's going to be hard to beat there. But let's get to this week's mailbag. Have you had much tweets and emails in this week, Lee? Uh, we have had a few tweets and emails, but I think that this week we're, we're going to just sort of round it off mainly based on the all-time 11s that we, we put together. So... I think that there was an outright winner and that was Gordon Marshall. So if anybody has any contact details for Gordon, let him, please let us know. I'd love to get in touch with him to, to let him know that he was being voted by the fans as the, the all-time greatest goalkeeper um, as voted for the fans of the podcast. So well done to Gordon. Um, this week um, I'll put out about defenders. I'll probably put that out maybe tomorrow. Um, and you can give us your votes on that. It'll be interesting because obviously I think goalkeepers can be a bit of a unique position because obviously there's only one of them. Whereas defenders, um, we're going to have to spread that out a little bit more. So I think that we'll probably put out this week, we'll go for a left back. So it'll be interesting to hear probably the likes of Dickie Gibb getting mentioned. Yeah, there's, we've had a good few left backs down the years. So I don't think Ian McDonald will be getting any shouts though. Brian Jenkins for me, he'll be my left back choice. That's from the Clarkey years. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a good, broad section of votes for this one, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest, and not just because he's been on the show, I, I'm finding it hard to look past Dougie Cameron. Um, yeah. I, I think definitely got to be up there with a shout, and uh, another shout from me that will surprise nobody, Ewan Donaldson. I thought Ewan was, was really good at us. Yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was kind of a bit like Mark Noble at West Ham, 7 out of 10. They give you a 7 out of 10 every game. He was very, very steady and never really put a foot wrong for us. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, what everybody else's opinions of this um, and, and this position are. So we'll go for left-backs this week. Apart from that, not too much on the old mailbag. Although I must admit that um, with the news of Messi um, handing in his um, transfer request, yes. I, I did... Um, I did like a, a tweet again from Neil um, Neil Anderson uh, that is quoted yes ever since I watched Kenny Joker's goal versus Queen's Park I've dreamed of playing of East Fife the rich history excites me and I hope I can get the deal done so fingers crossed we could see Messi in the black and gold at some point 
apart from that, not loads and loads on the old mailbag. As always, if you've got any thoughts, let us know. We've had a few more followers this week, so if it's new, if you are new to the podcast, then hello. Thanks again to Leona, who I've been communicating back and forth this week. I believe that we're on our way to getting the, the board up at Bayview. Um, I did put out a tweet that I don't know if you've seen it yet, Michael. I did. Uh, I shared a tweet um, from Redden Football Club of yes. their uh, assault. Now, it actually assaulted all of my senses, to be honest. Um, More than the Scottish rap sick division from last week? I would rather listen to that for a year than, than cast my eyes and ears over that Redden one ever, ever again. So what I asked, um, sorry, what Bruno Conte asked was, if it was a Scottish club that created this monstrosity, who would it be? And I quite liked what sort of unfolded after that. A lot of people gave their opinions. Um, my shit would be Clyde. They just seem as like a sort of tin pot mm. plastic club that would definitely be all over that. Although Stevie Campbell might say Audrey, then they probably do get an honorary mention for that too. Somebody said, uh, um, again, Bruno, he felt it was a sort of either Dunfermline or Cali Thistle vibe. Gordon Henderson felt it was a Falkirk vibe to it. What about you, Mike? Who did you think? Airdrie was, funnily enough, who who I thought, just because it's like, they it's the kind of thing they would do because they think, oh, we're a big team, we can have our own anthem and stuff and like play up all this. But Livingston, I think Livingston would be a team it would fit because talk about plastic and everything. Yeah, definitely. Livingston could be up there. Um, I, I wonder what a Livingston rap would, would sound like because, you know, they do tend to think that um, they are a, a big club, but really they are... They are just one of those shite clubs, aren't they? They are, but they do have one of the best stadium names. I've got to say, like when I tell, when I was over in 2017 and I went to the cup tie at Livingston and I was tweeting out folk back home, I'm at the Tony Macaroni Stadium and folk here loved that. Yeah, that was as impressive, but not as impressive as the guy that dubbed it the spaghetti had. Um, <laughs> it was absolutely outstanding. I've and, never and, heard that. Well, you know. No, no, I actually believe that even they hashtagged it on the back of their shirt. Um, I don't don't quote me on that, but yeah, they, they dubbed it the Spaghetti Hat, which I, I thought was absolutely brilliant. And I know they spoke about it last week, but there's that new page where it's like uh, talking about Scottish football. Um, I'm just trying to find that, yeah, Scottish football moments that you, you have to go yes. and have a read it. For some reason, they followed me this week, but I've, I've loved reading through some of the stuff that's been on that. Oh, there's, there's been some fantastic stuff. There was a, a thread I shared as well, I think on my Canadian Twitter, just a guy just sharing moments from Scottish League football and lower league football. And then I, I think it was the first website, which I didn't know this had happened. It was St. Mirren against some, maybe Livingston. And they were meant to be having the Black Lives Matter thing at kickoff. And the referee blows the pistol and St. Mirren just kick off. Yeah, um, you know, the, the other one that I liked on it was the story about Willow Flood, and I don't know if you remember that, when he signed for the Pars. Yeah. So he signed for the Pars in 2018. A week later, he was approached by Bally United and subsequently terminated his contracts. However, due to the restrictions on the foreign players, the, the deal fell through, and they basically his stint at Dunfermline lasted nine days. He just looks like a very angry man, Willow Flood. He, he just looks like he's... I don't know if you've ever watched Harry Potter, but he's probably the human embodiment of a dementor. He just looks like he would suck the life out of you just by being dull and dreary and dark. 
Um, but yeah, that's my opinion on Willow Flood. You could um, trademark that to me if you want, and if you want to share that on social media and knock yourself out. Yeah. It's going to be great to, to see Messi in the, the lower Scottish leagues, as you say. The rumours are East Fife's going to have two trialists in, so maybe one of them is Messi. He's got to get through the quarantine first, coming from Spain, but I think he can cope with that. The Whitecaps here, actually, because everyone was talking about he might come to MLS, the rumours today are he's going to sign with Man City for three years, and then he'll get transferred to their parent MLS team, New York City FC, in three years. So that that would be a, a good landing spot for him. If New York City actually get a proper stadium, just now they're playing out of a baseball stadium. So I can't see Messi playing there. Anyway, that is it for this week's show. But just before we go then, let everyone know where they can find you online, Lee, and just remind everyone of this episode's sponsor. So again, um, you can find me on the usual places. Not that I say too much exciting things, but you find me on Twitter at LeeG1903, not Gillis under 89, which I said in the, a previous podcast that I listened to recently. That was my old Twitter handle. Um, I changed my Twitter handle primarily for this podcast, so it would be easier for people to find me. So LeeG1903, Facebook, Lee Gillis, um, and anybody else you want to find me, I'm, I'm not difficult to pin down. Um, all the social medias for the podcast itself, you can find us on Spotify, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter just by searching Glory Days of Gold. And of course Lee G1903 is going to be his new rap name as well once we release that single. Double A side with yours and my version. We'll raise some money for charity for one of the food banks that will be coming out. Yeah, um, we want to maybe get people to pay not for us to release it. I think we'll maybe release Oh yeah, that, that's a, a better way of doing it, yeah. Um, yeah. But if there does happen to be any agents listening, you know, I, I am open to offers to not release any music. So we'll see how we get on. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts on, on the rap. I'm definitely glad that, like you said, that it was a little bit dark in here so you wouldn't be able to see my face too much. You look like the cover for Mogwai's Come On, Die Young. You can Google that and see what I mean. Because that's, that's exactly what you're looking like. Anyway, I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada and AFT in website. Read all our stuff, aftn.co.uk. And of course, give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, and turn on notifications on YouTube. Glory Days of Gold is where you'll find us there. We'll be back with another show next week. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care, and mon the fife. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's gonna stay with you for life.